If it happened in hockey. Backhand scores! You'll hear all about it. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. The, the starting six forwards, or sorry, the starting six players on the, uh, on the All-Star team. Mm-hmm. And then the NHL Department of uh, Hockey Operations will vote the remaining All-Stars in. And then after that, the, the two captains from, uh, from each, you know, two captains are assigned by, again, the NHL hockey operations. And those captains are responsible for picking the teams, you know, like, uh, like we would do on, the, uh, on a frozen pond where, you know, you sort of just, uh, you know, I'll take this guy, then you take that guy, that sort of, that sort of format. A completely different uh, mm-hmm. attempt to, I guess, re-energize the All-Star game. What do you guys think about it? Well, I'm going to take a little different angle on this, Drew. I mean, let's be honest here. This is, this is thought about at the NHL general managers' meetings presented by Brendan Shanahan. In terms of the idea itself, I don't have the biggest problem with the idea. But my big issue, guys, is <clears throat> excuse me, is why are they spending this much time talking about the All-Star game at the NHL general managers' meetings? Don't they have something better to talk about? Don't they have ways to improve the game? Can they talk about different issues? Why are they talking about the All-Star game? Nobody cares about the All-Star game. Nobody cares. If they're watching it, they're watching it with a bunch of guys. They're just drinking. They're just having a good time. They're not actually intently watching. Nobody actually cares. The people who go to the game. It's all. Sp- it's all sponsors. It's all. You know, no fans go to the game. I mean, maybe in Carolina they will be. But well, why are we spending this much time on the All Star game? And I honestly think like. Part of me thinks it's like a cover-up to deal to not deal with the head, headshot issues or the other issues that were dealt with. I mean, it got all this press. You think they're putting it up as a smokescreen? Somewhat intentionally, maybe, but it's ridiculous. I mean, why are we? Why is this getting so much press right now? It's hard to argue with you on that one. You know, this it seems like the, it, it, it could have been easy for the NHL general managers to to make this decision sometime. You know, over the summer. Um, you know, let's talk about this actual actual game in itself. Um, the, the game, the, you know, the news of this new format that you know Brendan Shanahan has been working yep. on for a while has been getting actually you know a lot of a lot of positive reviews, mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit surprised by that. Um, you know, I, we were talking about this before we came on air. I, I actually don't like this idea, and the reason why I don't like this idea is because it's actually not um, it's not really you know show, representative or or you know positive in the sense that you know people are you know as good as people are making out to out to be. Um, you know, I, I don't I'm not necessarily saying that the you know the conference versus conference format is the best thing or the right, or the North America versus is world any, format is, is the best thing. Is but there, is there any good format though? Let me ask you: Is there any good format? There isn't because it's an all-star game. And you know what the def- format was in the in the 1970s. Yes. The Stanley yes. Cup champion used to that. used to play a team of all-stars, and then it would actually matter because then you're actually playing a team uh, instead of just a, a collection of all-stars. But the reason why I, I the main reason why I think this idea isn't as great as people are making it out to be is because th- this is not like a pond hockey game at all. As, as people are people are using the metaphor of a of a pond hockey. Well, as game. Adam just showed us you know, street hockey on steroids from right, the free press. Right, right, and I mean I, I don't I, I mean. I'm not saying that that the, the the selection process isn't like sticks in the middle. You know, yeah, what everyone knows yeah. when you play outdoor hockey, everyone puts their sticks in the middle, that type of thing. But I mean, the actual All Star game itself is is going to be the same. It's it's an exactly. All Star game. Isn't that yeah. the it's point? It's going to be the same players. Nobody. This I mean, is, the fans are going to pick. This is what it is. First star. All, all it is 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 the NHL trying to get a ratings boon for when they pick the team. That's all it is, and that's money. That's yeah. it. That's but what's, what's you point know, if you guys don't know the answer. The answer is money. That's the answer here. Come but on, let's be real. Let's be real. You're talking about, but you're talking about ratings. You know, I think where they made a mistake here is. You know, I, I, and I like the format change. I mean, I agree that we're talking about the All-Star game, and ultimately it doesn't matter. But I like, the format, want, I like the format change, but I think what they should have done is gone a step forward. Bring all, you know, your 54 All-Stars uh, all together, or sorry, 42 All-Stars, I think, is, is what it's going to be. 
48, I think it is. Well, no, Something there's like 42 that. and then 12 rookies. 12 I'm rookies. not sure what the rookies oh, are doing. The, the rookies before. will be in the, the Super Skills they're competition. The, okay. okay. So there will no, there will, there's not going to be oh, a, rookie a rookie game, game this year. Okay, so anyways, the 40... Which was horrible, which is a, which is actually something that they got right. You know, you know what was a great but, idea? When yeah. they skipped the All-Star game altogether last year. <laughs> well, that's because they had the Olympics instead. Yeah. But, so what, what so Richie's proposing is there should be a Winter Olympics every single year. Yeah, that's a good strategy. But, I mean, so the 42... What I think they should have done is they should have taken all 42 players, brought them onto the ice, on that Sunday afternoon when the All-Star game is happening and pick the teams right there in front of everybody in the arena you know, with the two captains right in front of everybody on the ice as opposed to doing it on the Friday night before. I don't mind that. I mean, that's better. Look, I like no, that. They're not. They're not gathering together at any point in time to talk strategy about how they're going to win the All Star. Do you want to be a captain? Let me ask you this, though, Drew. From this side, do you want to be? I know, like, it's, you know, no hurt feelings, but do you want to be a captain picking the guys? I mean, somebody's got to go last. Well, it's Nicholas. L- I mean, I think they're already talking about the captains might be you know Nicholas Lidstrom and maybe Timu or somebody like that. That's okay, you know, sure. sort of two you know veterans who are conceivably all-stars, but I mean, at this point... First Both of all, those guys are all-stars. I'm going to digress for a second, but did you see the all-star ballot that the fans can choose from? Yep. Didn't, didn't, I know the rookie ballot, they forgot like Jeff Skinner, and they forgot like Michael Neuvereth and all this. So they, they were well, the rookie ballot might be one thing, but yeah. like the actual fan ballot that's available in NHL arenas yeah. there, you can go online yeah. and you can vote, is the most absurd ballot in the history of... In the history of, of it's like they make these all-star ballots... Six months in advance. Yeah, they don't I mean, even watch yeah. the first. Andrew, couple isn't games. that isn't isn't that you know go, like adding to our point here that that, that you they know this new care. this new yeah. format isn't actually going to make this All Star game more mm-hmm. exciting and that and that's that's the thing here when you when you read this it's a new idea okay we have a new idea here Brendan Shanahan mm-hmm. who who brought some good you know rules new rules into the new NHL with the competition committee he came out with something new and you look at it you're like this is okay but this isn't actually what people thought it was Drew the captains aren't going to be selected until the players have been selected. So originally, when this news broke out, it was that captains are going to be selected. Oh, you mean and they're not they, picking the team until the players are picked and they're picking exactly, the team. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. When, when it first came out, yeah. TSN broke the news, and it was, well, Crosby and Ovechkin are going to be the two most popular players, and then they will be captains, and they will pick the, the, the but teams. the NHL hockey operations are the ones picking the, the, the right. all-stars, with the exception of the starting six, which are still voted by the fans that like right. they've been doing for years. Right. You know, the all-star game is just, it's such a conundrum. I understand why they have it. Money. Money and sponsorship and, uh, you know. Sponsorship is money. I know. And I understand what I'm, I understand that. But the NHL season is so long already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you do something? I, I mean, shouldn't you maybe do something in the early in early September? Maybe get people excited for the upcoming season as opposed to taking that chunk of time in the middle of the year. Well, what about putting, extending the season longer than it needs to be already? What about putting together? What about this idea? I mean, similar to whether you're going to play the Russian teams. What about playing an KHL All-Star versus an NHL All-Star team? Problem with that. I mean, I like the idea on paper. Yeah. The problem with that is I think the KHL All-Stars would try and they'd actually try and win the game. So what's wrong with that? That's my point. Is actually people trying? Well, because no NHL team would want to actually see their players potentially get injured in a meaningless exhibition before the season starts against a bunch of no, KHL players with quote unquote something to prove how great the KHL actually is, which we know is bunk because the KHL is still a second or third class league compared to the NHL. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the KHL, I mean, we've heard the, for lack of a better word, trash talk coming from the KHL. KHL it of comes, from the, comes from the, the management yes, more, of than course, than more than the players. The KHL, of course, is the Continental Hockey League out of Russia, which is the, you know, they fancy themselves an upstart European version or Russian version of the NHL, which is group. really just retread what, NHLers. What about that game? I mean, Nabokov and goal for the KHL, Yager up front, Morozov up front, I and mean, that's I'm interested in that game. 
Well, Richie, an exhibition game like that, I mean, similar to, you know, I mean, you'd have to be a little bit older to remember those days, but, I mean, the 70s when the Habs mm-hmm. would, exactly. would play the yeah. NHL All-Stars. Then but that was there's the, actually... Yeah. No, but the, Cold but, War. But, but the thing still, is, yeah. Drew, I think, I, I mean, I think if I, you know, if I understand you correctly, I mean, what you're saying is the actual spectacle itself is not worth... Um, right. The, all, all of the effort, and yeah, and there, there's obviously going to be a break, a mid-season break, right? That's I given. don't know why they have to have it. Well, there, I mean, there's, it's just natural in any, I mean, in, in, in any, the other guys in any, days in any industry or, or professional sports league, there is a break, right? There, it doesn't exist where you just have one continuous sure. season. I, I look, I understand that. Football doesn't work, but there's a bye. Right. Right. I mean, I know, yeah. but I mean, to me, it's just the season's so long already. Give me that, that buy article, by the way, by Bill Simmons. I didn't as yes, of yet. Yeah. Oh, it's I, terrible. Was it? He's great. That was a terrible article. Okay, I haven't read it yet. I saw it, but I haven't read it yet. One more thing about the All Star Game. Can we get away with the myth that every team needs to have an All Star? Like they need to be no, represented to, no, I, I, in the All Star Game. No, no, no. I'm passionate about that. I you have that, to have an All Star in every team. Yeah. Why? Because you're a kid and you have a, you have a favorite team. You want to see like when I was a kid, I wanted to watch Team Muslani. I mean, I realize he earned his spot there in the Winnipeg Jets, but Campbell say Conference. I wanted to watch somebody yeah. on my team. I want to have, I have a favorite player. You want to get kids into the game. I, I, I'm fine with that. I don't. I can't understand. I mean, I, where you heart, you think all of a sudden your team is great, even though because you have an undeserving all-star who plays in the, in well, the all-star I mean, game? Drew, there isn't one team that doesn't deserve to have an all-star on there. Absolutely there is. Go look Name at the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Who's an all-star off the Toronto Maple Leafs? I'm going to be talking about the Leafs next segment. But find me one player on that team that deserves, if the all-star game was held tomorrow, find me one player who deserves Can to be an all-star. Castle, he's got, I think, six goals. I, I mean, I mean aside from that, Drew, obviously you're, you're, really, you're reaching. But, I mean, he's a goal scorer. He could be that he's an all star. Like you could argue he's an all star. Uh, I think it should already be Nazem Kadri, shouldn't it? You wanna, he you're leading very yet. well into the next segment. Well, that's just that. it. He doesn't I mean, play it, until tonight. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about the Leafs oh, next segment. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Let's finish up with the All Star game here. Uh, you know, the thing I like most about the All Star weekend is the skills competition. Right, and I that's, that's, that's what fun. I think. And that's what I think they got the, the most right here, Drew. I think by picking twelve rookies, we're going to get to see. Though their skills and people will will make the argument that you'd like to see some of the less skilled players with the booming shot. Remember, Dave Manson won it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was ninety five. But I think it's going to be nice to see some rookies that we necessarily wouldn't see some of the skills and I that, you know during the regular season. I think that's what they got right. See, my issue was although all along was I, I like that Dave Manson because I I think you should have the, the guys with the hardest shot should be in the competition, not the also the, the hardest shot. Not the hardest and shot, the fastest yeah. guy in the league, like you know, Andrew, Andrew Cogliano, should be in those in, in those in those uh, skills competitions as opposed to and that's the how it also. and that's how it used to be and it's wavered back and forth. It should go to fastest. You want, I want to see the hardest shot in the NHL. Well, Who has the hardest shot? Each team has their own super skills it's competition. Curtis Foster, then each team has their own super skills competition, and those players should be the ones who represent in the in the skills competition. Yep. I want to see the guy with the hardest shot, like you said, not the all-star with the hardest shot. To me, that that is where the NHL you know, lacks a little. They could reformat that part. Anyways, let's uh, finish it up there. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Discussing or disgusting the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm not <laughs> sure which. Disgusting. But anyways, you're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on Sports Radio 1290 and online at sportsradio1290.com. Finished our first segment talking about the All-Star Game. Coming up, Sean Gordon from the Globe and Mail, Jeremy Rutherford from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We're going to be talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Uh, if there's a funeral march music we can play right now, I think that would be, uh, that would be appropriate because it is just ugly in Toronto right now. I mean, it's ugly, but at the same time, is this really what should have been expected from the Leafs this year? Or is this even worse than, than, than they thought? I don't know, even worse, Drew. I mean, do we oh. predict them to be the worst team in the National Hockey League? I mean, they were last in our, my division, uh, I think, last in most of ours. The, the, the truth is, guys, is, you know, expectations 
go up and down very quickly in you know in Toronto. They win four games in a row. They're 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 gonna make the playoffs. They lose seven games in a row and they're terrible. And one, they're more they're more more one, ter- one seven and two in their last ten games yeah. with and this is the real problematic part. Fifteen goals scored in ten games. Well, again, I mean. We talked about their team before the season. Their goaltending was better. They have G. Garen and Gilsonezzi, and their defense isn't bad. It's overpaid, but it's not terrible. Um, they didn't have enough offense, and we're seeing that right now. I mean, let's be honest, guys. This is not. This shouldn't be a huge shock. I mean, some of this has to fall on the players. Some of this has to fall on Ron Wilson. You only go on seven-game losing streaks in the NHL because it's very hard to do that. But they can't score, and, and obviously Brian Brook has to be responsible for that as well. I mean, the, the acquisitions that he's that, that so far that he's brought in. I mean, Chris Versteeg. He's been a bust so far. He's been a bust so far. Absolutely. I mean, he's you know? really he's playing. You know, they brought him in to be a top top two line guy, and That's he's right. been playing like a third or fourth. Now he's liner. on the third line as of yesterday night. He's yeah, playing with Tim Brent on the third line. So, guys, a lot of a lot of the talk in Toronto, and this is you know very very you know appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Christopher Stieg on Chicago was was you know not one of the top guys. That's right. And now he goes to Toronto, and. All of a sudden, Christopher Stieg is is basically your number two scorer. I mean, the the yep. problem the problem in Toronto, and and I mean, you know, I, I hate to say this for the Leafs fans out there, they they don't have enough offense right, right now. They like no no matter what way you put it, yeah, the the big acquisitions of, of Christopher Stieg and Clark MacArthur and Colby Armstrong, I all of those players, I, I I'm fans of, well, they're hardworking players, all of them. But but in the Eastern Conference, first off, those guys are small. Yeah, and Good point. and Phil Kessel. Is the type of player he needs a bigger guy, and he's a playmaker. That's right. These are these are grinders, and don't, and don't get me wrong, Drew. I mean, in in the NHL, you need your grinders, you need your Travis Moans and your Rob Niedermeyers to win the Stanley Cup. But you don't need them playing first line minutes. Well, I, that's what yeah. they're doing. Is, is Christopher Stieg? I mean, Clark MacArthur's injured now, but Christopher Christopher on on Chicago was, was playing a, a different role. He's well, not he's well, not accepting his role. Let's think about it for, for a second. I mean, there, there there's an adjustment that has to go into it. Christopher Stieg. Um, played a lot of time with with talented players in Chicago, right? And now he's going to a team without a lot of talent. So he's he's having to understand how to play, basically on his own, as opposed to with a Taves or with a Kane or with those kind of players. Second of all, once you make the move from maybe third line or first line with with, with top players and back and forth, but he was playing, and you go to Toronto, what you're doing is you're going from facing the second or third defensive pairing for the most part, or the first defensive pairing with a really good with a really good with line really mates, good line mates like to, Taves and Kane to playing on the first line with. You know, not bad linemates, but against the best competition on the defensive, uh, the defensive competition, night in, night out. So you're, what you're doing, guys, is that adjustment. You know, it's, it's kind of like the soft, quote-unquote, sophomore slump. Lots of that is actually attributable to the fact that players who play in their second year are just play, are having are, are taking on a bigger role and therefore playing against tougher players. It's not so much the players regressing, but it's against the, si- the situations he's playing in is are a lot more difficult. Similar to Christopher Steak here, guys. He's going from a situation where it was, you know, not that we could plug anybody in there and have them perform, although Stahlberg, I think, has as many points as him, but... The idea is he's playing with talented players, and he's playing, or he's playing against lesser competition. Now he's playing with less talented players and against tougher competition. So that would mean that he's going to drop off. Now not to this level, because he because he's had his chances and he hasn't 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 you know scored. But that's the idea behind it, right? And the same kind of thing, you know, for a lot of other players when they come into situations where they go from being a guys who aren't counted on to guys who are counted on, the circumstances change. Do you buy that the losses or the injuries to Colby Armstrong and Dion Phaneuf are as are as uh, are as responsible for this slide as head coach Ron Wilson made it out to be? Here's the quote from Ron Wilson. Ron Wilson saying that uh, he agrees both players are missed badly, although for a lot more than what they do on the ice. They're kind of the emotional barometers on our team. Ron Wilson said they keep everybody up. With Dion, Dion Phaneuf, it's a woodpecker in the room banging away all the time and it never stops. So now it might seem comforting that it's a little quiet. 
but we need the woodpecker in the room. Maybe not the big woodpecker who's out, but five or six little woodpeckers, at least chipping away a little bit on the tree, making a little noise. You know, what is Ron Wilson talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, besides being a great quote, I mean, but do you agree with let's, that? Let's just get back to one thing, guys. Cal- uh, Dion couldn't get out of Cal... They couldn't get Dion Phaneuf out of Calgary quick enough for, for barking on the ice, especially at practice and especially at older veterans. The Leafs... See, they take it the other way, the expectations. The Leafs are so desperate for anybody with talent that they'll take Dion Phaneuf's apparently negative traits and turn them into positive traits because that's what they need. They're, they're desperate. Remember, guys, I like what he added to, that, added to that transition game, but there's a reason he was available for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. There's a reason he was available, guys. Daryl Sutter, Brent Sutter, are not going to trade a, a Norris Trophy candidate if they don't think that, you know, he has an attitude problems and defensively is, he's weak. Well, so, that's his, so do I think that they miss him? Sure, they miss him on offense because he, he pulls people to him on the power play because he's got a great shot. He's a good skater and he's got a, he's got a good first pass. He's terrible defensively, though. So, yes, sure, they miss him because his positives generally outweigh his negatives, although not according to his salary. But to say that they miss him at this point, they could lose seven games in a row with Dion Fanofezzi and then a third-line right winger? I mean, give me a break, guys. Your, your top six guys are there. Your goalie's there. Most of your top four defensemen are there. Don't make excuses. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and not e- performing. And even though, you know, I think we, we'd all agree here that, you know, all of the, all of the, the media hype that, that's, that, that has surrounded, um, you know, the, the Leafs recalling Nazim Kadri was well, a little bit, was a little, was, is justified. I mean, he, 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 he definitely has, 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 a, uh, you know, the right to be in the lineup because right now, I mean, you've, you've got no one scoring. True. Phil Kessel is definitely not scoring. He's a point of game in the um, NHL. And and I I, I mean they they said Kadri his he wa, he was coughing the puck up too much but he's been a point per per game player in the AHL well yeah now now you now you have to call up everyone right. just like the Devils without without Rolston and Parise they have to call up a guy like uh, Matthias Tedenby who turns out got a goal but I mean that they they, they need all of the offensive talent they can get right now let's talk about Nazim Kadri because he got called yeah. up and he's going to play his first NHL game tonight with the Leafs. Second career game, though. He Sorry, played, second he played a game, game last year. Played a game last year. Yeah. Is there any organization that sets up their young players to fail no. as bad as the Leafs do? Good question, Drew. I think you absolutely nailed that one. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking you're talking about players that, um, for example, this situation. You know, you tell people first of all, you say to the media that he's not good enough, that he makes too many turnovers, that he's not ready for the NHL game yet. You send him down for what, 5, 10, 12, 15 games at most. Yeah, and then you bring him back up, and suddenly 10, tw- 10 12 games in the AHL, and he's ready. 10, 12 games in the NHL. No, what happened is you abandoned your plan because you got desperate and you need a quote-unquote spark, and Brian Burke admitted such. So what you're doing is you're putting him down and then you're trying to build his back confidence. But instead of building his confidence slowly and calling him up, you may be near the mid-point of the season or the end of the season when you're probably out of it, you call him up now to try and save your season. And you know why, guys? You know why they're calling up Nazim Kadri? Because they are desperate. Because they don't have a first-round pick. That's why they're calling him up. Yeah. Is yeah. he that good even? But is we'll, he good we'll, enough we'll that he can be... I'll talk about his skill set in a second, Drew. Okay. You don't have a first-round pick. So what you're doing is you're trying to save your own butt by calling him up and getting into the playoffs because you're desperate. But if you have an organizational plan that had your first-round picks, or even if you don't, forget the first-round picks, what you're doing is you're letting that get in the way of what you're trying to do, right? Are you trying to develop as an organization? Then forget that you traded the two first-round picks for Kessel and let Kadri develop until he's ready. Right, and I think regardless of what happens over the next little while, and you know, I mean, I mean the Leafs are, are in tough. They, they're definitely going yeah. to have to pu- go on a little run here. But I think as far as Kadri goes, you have to keep him up in the NHL now. If you're going to keep Luke Shen up, Luke Shen is as developed. All right. I mean, Luke Shen better is, this year. But Luke yeah, Shen is the same age as Kadri. I mean, and, and Luke Shen is a so year uh, older, I think. Okay, and he's and he's de- uh, he's a defensive defenseman. They're not expecting Shen to beca- you know put up enough numbers or whatever. No. But I mean, right. as far as Kadri goes, Drew, they 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 have to stick with him now, regardless if, if they, they improve. Say, if they yeah. can't keep 
shutting a guy like him forth. down because Kadri, you know, like, like it or not, or have your opinions. I mean, the guy was a, a big star in in, the, in juniors. And, and you have to, you have to, for his development, you have to stick with him. For your team, you have to, you have to do it. Let's talk about his skill level. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about his skill level. I'm not a big guy. They have his poster up in the yeah. lead. I mean, the, we talked about this uh, in the preseason where they put his poster up as one of the hallmarks of this Leafs right. team in the media center. I mean, this is a guy who's uh, you know has done nothing. Well, yeah, like you yeah. said, Drew. Though I, I mean, sorry, Richie, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. But, fail. but no, yeah, and but uh, you know, you're, we were talking about. You know, should each team have an all-star? Who else is your all? I mean, who else is your the future of your franchise? It's really Phil Kessel or or or, or Nazem Kadri, really here at, well, the, at this point. Let's talk about a skill set. Richard. I know, you know, I was at that draft, and Nazem Kadri was picked seventh overall by the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Leafs wanted to trade up to number six because it was considered to be a quote-unquote six-six-player draft. And uh, well, Tyler Myers went later, but six-player draft, and Braden Shen was a six-player, and the Kings wouldn't trade that pick because they wanted Braden Shen with Luke Shen, and Braden Shen's better than Nassim Kadri, yeah. so they wanted to trade up. They couldn't no trade relation. up, so they drafted their brothers. Oh, really? Are they yeah, related? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So why didn't uh, Luke Shen play for the Wee Kings then? Because um, he got drafted in WHL, right? Right. Um, and, and so what happens is, guys, is, is they, they wanted Braden Shen. They didn't get him. They drafted Kadri. Kadri's a smaller player. He's got really good hands. He's handsy. He's a toolsy guy. Yeah. He can stick handle. His shot's improving. He's gritty, um, too. His, yeah, he's, he's a physical he's element. Uh, he's, he can skate pretty well, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. Yeah. And he has to be able to learn how to play without the puck and be able to shoot without the puck. The problem is, guys, you know, he played in London. People thought maybe his points were due to John Tavares. And he played pretty well the year after. So he can score. The question is, can he translate? Can his, can his game, his handsy-type game, translate in the NHL level? It probably can, but can it hand it to the level that the Leafs want is the question, guys. Can he become a 70-plus point player? That's the question. He was drafted top 10. That's the expectations. I'm not so sure if he did. I, I've never really loved his game. I'm going to tell you right now. I've never loved his game. I don't think he's a terrible player by any means, but I've never loved his game. I think he's a little bit too handsy for the, for the Leafs. And it's funny because he seems to be the complete and total opposite of the player that Brian Burke likes. Similar, guys, to Phil Kessel. But desperate times call for desperate measures. Do you, you don't have any options. That's what you do. Do you think that calling him up today is going to stunt his development in future. I'm not so sure about that, Drew, but it, it clearly was, clearly it's going to stunt his development, well, at least in, in the Leafs' perception, it'll stunt his development because they thought he needed to develop longer in the AHL. So, do I think so? I'm not so sure, but the Leafs thought so before the season. And I think well, that's what matters. Isn't that the matter? Quickly, that the organization had to change their mind because, uh, because of everything. Let's leave it there. When we come back, we've got Sean Gordon from the Globe and Mail talking about the Habs. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. Really great hockey talk. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on Sports Radio 1290 and live at sportsradio1290.com. We're pleased to be joined on the line now by Sean Gordon of the Globe and Mail. Sean, thanks for joining us. We know you're at a concussion symposium, so uh, we'll try and be uh, quick with you today. It's awfully kind of you. How are you guys doing? Very well, thanks, Sean. Sean, they're they're no longer booing Carey Price in Montreal anymore. But uh, you know, and his his solid play, his strong start to the season, made ha- made made Habs fans reevaluate the uh, off season trade of Yaroslav Halak. Um, you know what? I think it, it, it yes and no. I think it probably has made uh, sort of some people who were uh, kind of indifferent uh, to uh, to Carey. Um, but I think the, the people who love Falak love Falak and are, are never going to get over the fact that uh, uh, that he was traded away. And I think that uh, I, I get lots of emails from people, you know, whenever I say something nice about Carey Price saying, well, you know, have you seen Halak's stats and all this other sort of stuff? And, you know, I, I think they're in a minority, but, I mean, there, there are some wounds that are going to take a lot longer than 14 or 15 starts uh, to heal. That said, 
I don't think he's had a bad game this year. And I think that uh, when you do see uh, the fan reaction, um, and I mean, look, the fact is he was he won the Molson Cup, which is uh, for the month of October, which is based on the number of uh, three stars appearances that you win. And as you guys know, I mean, now the the fans get to vote on three stars here. So, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, yes, uh, there he's 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 uh, he's probably won over some of his critics, but there are some that he will never be able to win over, even if he wins the Vesna. You know, it's hard to believe that Andre Markov has been back for you know six games now, and he's obviously made a, a huge impact. Uh, is there any doubt that you know Markov is the the MVP of the Habs? Yeah, you know what? I actually would say that I would I wouldn't put him in the MVP class so far this year. I mean, I think uh, the first few games that he came back, I didn't think he did very much, and I think that he's still hobbled. You can see some of the decision making and hesitancy. I mean, he he's, he still needs some game time to be at his at his full sharpness. I mean, I actually think that the guy who's meant most to the team, uh, it's been a toss up between Price and Thomas Placanitz. I mean, uh, you know the the. the you know, certainly they're a different team with Markov in the lineup, and I think you can see that particularly in the way that they're operating in their own zone. I mean, I, you know, the game against Vancouver the other night, I mean, they was, that was as crisp and as sharp uh, as they've been since the playoffs last year, and in fact, maybe even crisper and sharper. I mean, that was as pretty close to Jacques Martin's perfect game, I think, as you can get. And, uh, you know, it's, he, he certainly has a role to play in that, but I mean, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. I don't think he's at full speed. Uh, and I mean, it'd be interesting to see actually how he does this year because you know, obviously he's in a contract year, and 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 there's you know he's had really serious injuries in each of the last three years, and I think it's you know maybe it's taking its toll, or maybe it's just that he hasn't had enough hockey to really get ramped up yet. So I mean, uh, but it's interesting to watch and to have him with George's and to have Subban as as the sort of the uh, the other swashbuckler. And I mean, uh, you know, the other night he was in flying form uh, and has obviously become a huge fan favorite. Right? So I mean, it's uh, but you know, Markov certainly is a huge piece, but I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's the MVP right now. Sean Ryan O'Byrne was traded this past week, and it caught you know some people off guard and some people not off guard. I mean, we talked to Pat Hickey, obviously you know Pat quite well last year, and, and he spoke quite highly about O'Byrne, especially his ability, you know, his future and possible ability to become a top four defenseman in Montreal. Where did that all go wrong? Well, I think there's a couple of things with O'Byrne. I mean, uh, O'Byrne is is uh, is one of the is one of the NHL's great humans. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a fabulous person and a really interesting guy and and very thoughtful and funny and all the rest of it. I mean, uh, and and just just a genuinely nice guy. Um, maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, uh, you know, I think maybe that if he were if he were a nastier, more egocentric uh, type player, I mean, you know, he'd probably be a four or five million dollar defenseman given the set of skills that he has. I think essentially what's happened is that uh, his spot has been taken by PK Subban. I mean, you know, the 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 you know, George's George's is already ahead of him on the right side. Uh Subban has come in and has immediately shown that he's gonna be a top performer in this league. Um and I think that part of it is a numbers game. I mean you know, Ryan's in a contract year as well, uh, and it's going to be a situation where they were going to look at probably having to pay him a little bit more next year. Uh, he's a guy with, as I say, has all the tools, and he has, has had some confidence issues on and off and hasn't been able to play his way into the team. And I think that, you know, a change of scenery will probably do him a lot of good. Uh, I think that uh, Jacques Martin, for reasons that he's never sort of publicly explained, kind of kind of lost a little bit of confidence. Over. I mean, part of the thing is I remember, I remember during the, uh, the playoffs last year, uh, talking to a couple of people around the team, and sort of it was we were all scratching our heads about why O'Byrne wasn't playing particularly uh, in the uh, in the early going of the Philadelphia series, and and it's one of those things where essentially uh, one of the people you know in, in the team, one of the sources said, listen, you know what, we we can't we can't rely on the guy to not take a penalty. You know, he's not mobile enough, and he's not sophisticated enough in his reading of the game. Uh, 
that we can trust him, you know, uh, in, in a pressure pack situation where, you know, if he gives up a penalty and there's a power play on the other side, that it could cost us the game. So, I mean, uh, I think too much of it at the time because, of course, he came back later and played in the series. But it was one of those weird things where, you know, when, when they trade him away, you know, it twigs. Oh, yeah, I remember when somebody said this to me, you know, six months mm-hmm. ago or whatever. Can you talk about the return that Michael Bourneval? Can you tell us a little bit about him? Bourneval's an interesting case. I mean, he was a he was a third round pick, which I which is a bit of a head shaker because he's actually got quite a pedigree. I mean, he's done quite well. He's an offensive player. He can play wing. He can play center. Right now, he's playing center. I mean, he's in the he's been playing in the uh, the QMJHL Super Series with uh, with uh, with against the Russian select team, which has gotten off to a pretty disastrous start. Actually, <laughs> the poor Quebec guys. I think we're we're a little. I don't think they were expecting the Russians right. to be quite that good. Uh, but uh, you know, he's a guy with a little bit of size. Uh, you know, he's six feet tall. Right now, he weighs 190 pounds. Only 18 years old. I mean, uh, you know, he's obviously seen as a guy who uh, is uh, a rising star in the queue and and may have a shot. Uh, as I. It, I have to admit that I haven't uh, read up on him as much as I should have. Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't remember if he was at the Team Canada, the Junior Team Canada evaluation camp or not. I mean, uh, there's there's talk of, of him possibly being able to win an invite because he's uh, he's had a good start to the season. Pretty dynamic guy, right? I mean, uh, offensive uh, offensive dynamo. Uh, you know, as as the Quebec League uh, tends to develop. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if he has a future as a pro. I mean. It's just it's just the fact that he's a third round pick uh, sort of uh, is 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 a bit mystifying to a lot of the people who have seen him play. In fact, there's probably no better recommendation from uh, than than uh, than than RDS is uh, Stéphane Leroux, who is sort of the guru of uh, the QMJHL and follows the league and has done for longer than anyone else in the Quebec media. Who sort of says, "Look, this guy's a player," uh, and that the fact that they were able to get to get him. Uh, for uh, for a defenseman who's only played in two or three games or whatever it was that Ryan's played this year is uh, is actually uh, not not a bad piece of work from Gauthier. You're tuned to Sports Radio 1290. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, and we're joined by Sean Gordon of the Globe and Mail. Sean, you you mentioned PK Subban earlier, and we wanted to you know ask you a question about his development. What do you think was more important for his maturation, and, and you know, you know, is more important for his development really um, last year? Was it or two years ago? Uh, speaking. Well, I mean, last year he was with the, the Bulldogs, but um, what was more important, his time in the AHL or, you know, his his brief, call, well, not, not, not that brief, actually, but his call-up with the Habs in the playoffs last year? You know, I actually think that, and PK will tell you this himself, that uh, it was the time in the AHL. I mean, I think the fact that, uh, you know, kind of a tough start. I remember Matthew Darsh, uh, having a, I remember having a chat with him at one point about sort of uh, Subban because he was still down in the minors when, when Darsh got called up, and he said, no, you know what, he was an unbelievably skilled player. Got off to a tough, got off to a tough start. I think he needed to learn what it was like to be a professional. Uh, I think uh, Guy Boucher and, and you know again Subban will tell you this himself that Boucher was instrumental, absolutely, in sort of teaching him, uh, teaching him the subtleties of when it's okay to uh, to, to 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 go Paul Coffey, uh, Bobby Orr, you know, and uh, and when it's not. And uh, and I think also uh, the fact of having a guy like Alex Henry. Um, who is no one's idea of you know a regular NHL guy, but who is a character guy uh, and a big, tough, bruising guy um, who played defense with him for most of last year. And in fact, it was interesting. I, you know, a lot of people were wondering why it was that Henry stuck around with the uh, the big club so long through training camp. And I think that 
you know what? It was because they wanted him to they wanted him to be to be there for PK, right? And they wanted him to be able to ride him. And Subban will tell you as well that I mean, the guy who who gave him the most, who drove him, who grown who grinded his gears the most was uh, was Alex Henry. So you know, I think it's it's one of those things where you know the the when he finally got to the NHL, he was ready to play, right? I mean, I think he was probably would have been able to play at the beginning of last year, but I mean, the fact of having those months under a coach with an inventive system and, and learning a little bit of discipline and what it's like to be a pro. I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, the, the, the Habs get criticized justifiably for uh, for some of the mistakes they've made with uh, with younger players, whether it's, you know, Sergei Kostitsin or Guillaume Latondres or even Carey Price. I mean, but, you know, I think in, in Subban's case, uh, they, got, they got the recipe pretty well bang on. Sean, last question here. You mentioned Guy Boucher, and, and when he was hired by Tampa, there were some in the Montreal, you know, the Montreal fans that said, "Oh, you know, we want him to be our coach. We're disappointed that he's, you know, they're taking, he's going, he's taking his whole coaching staff to Tampa. We're not going to have a chance to hopefully have him as a coach eventually down the road." Can you at least, you know, can people sometimes go over on the other side and defend Jacques Martin and, and the job that he's done, not only developing the young players but managing the egos and managing the media? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm not sure necessarily that Martin's Forte is young players. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you look at his track record and his various stops, I think that mm-hmm. there have been some issues there. But the one thing that Jacques does, I think you, you nailed it, is, you know what, he, the, you know, I used to cover politics in a previous life, and uh, in the Christian government, uh, Herb Gray was the house leader, and he was known as the Gray Fog, because, you know, <laughs> the, he would step in front of the microphones, and, you know, if there were people, you know, a banging, a banging pack of jackals, you know, uh, screaming questions and about this or that scandal, and, and Herb would start talking, and then, every, you know, the pretty soon, you know, the whole room would be filled with his words in this really dense kind of mist, and, and you know, you didn't really know which end was up, and Martin has kind of got that going on, which you sort of need, right? And I think Boucher uh, is, is more than he, more than capable of handling that type of exposure, except that, you know, uh, Martin is the guy that they brought in to be the veteran stabilizing mm-hmm. presence, and I think that, you know, the system that he's developed is can be effective now. The jury is still out about whether you know it can take them beyond where they got last year. I think that uh, you know that'll be really interesting to see. Um, and the other thing is, and this is sort of like uh, word around the campfire type stuff that no one around the team will confirm. Is I mean, you know, and, and fans don't don't necessarily appreciate this. Is that you know Jacques signed a four-year contract and uh, apparently a very punitive ironclad contract. And you know, for them to get rid of him uh, before the end of it is going to cost just a huge amount of money this is what i've heard i mean you know obviously these are not things that anybody talks about you know on the record or publicly um and you know there's also a question as to whether boucher is ready to be the guy in this market at this stage i mean you know it's i I don't think it's a coincidence that uh martini's contract in montreal and boucher's contract in tampa come up the same year right interesting (laughs) interesting Sean Gordon of the Globe and Mail, uh, we know you're at the Concussion Symposium. We appreciate you giving your time. Thanks very much for joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Hey, anytime. All the best, and uh, have a great rest of the afternoon. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Cheers. See ya. That was, as we said, Sean Gordon of the Globe and Mail. We're right up against it. So let's go to break. When we come back, we've got six things. We'll talk about the interview we just had with Sean Gordon. Lots of good stuff to come. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. They live it. They love it. These guys are crazy about hockey. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, exclusively on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on Sports Radio 1290. We just heard from Sean Gordon of the Globe and Mail. It's time for six things we learned this week. Six, 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 six things we've learned this week. 
good audio from Remus over there on the other side of the glass, of course. You know, he's, he's got that deep voice going oh, yeah. on. It's really, you know, really, really well done. It's funny. I was Drew. Uh, Remus. I just went in there during that last break, and Remus is saying that he doesn't know when we're going off air because he's listening to it on the delay. delay. So, so he's he's tripping out a little bit as we're walking. <laughs> I, I went in there last he's break, and, and he freaked out. He's like, "How are you here and on air?" <laughs> Only the swiftest people work here on the Elite. Radio magic. Show, people don't realize sure. there is magic involved <laughs> yes, in radio. Exactly. Ezzy, six things we learned this week. Let's start with your first. Uh, the first thing that you learned this week: the San Jose Sharks are a much less confident team with when Joe Thornton is out of the lineup. Uh, he returned Thursday after a, a two-game suspension. Yep. Uh, he his you know presence on their offense and power play suffers big time uh, without him. Yeah, it's funny we talked about the you know the Thornton suspension obviously in our our first game and. A two-game suspension just flies by. It's, it's oh, yeah. you know, one day it's Sunday, and the next game, Joe Thornton's back. You don't even notice he's gone. But Have a coffee. Yeah, uh, I I watched that uh, that full Sharks Ducks games. I'm I'm loving those those late night oh, yeah, late uh, late night Pacific Division battles. But um, the, the Sharks actually outshot the Ducks and lost the game in overtime. But they look completely discombobulated. Um, Thornton has such a presence on mm-hmm. the ice, and and I, I'm not even talking about leadership here. I, I'm just talking about his skill on the ice. I mean. The guy is is a point of game player, or more than that. You know, uh, For years. you know, oh five oh six. He had about one hundred and ninety points. No, I'm just kidding. He had about one hundred and twenty. <laughs> but um, the Sharks, especially especially that top line, obviously with Heatley, are are just not the same. And and he's really you know the catalyst on the team. And um, you know he came he's back now, and you know he's contributing against the Islanders. But um, Thornton is is really you know takes uh, uh, he he's he's the key to the team and if the, uh, the sharks aren't the problem, aren't, aren't very different um, but if the top line's not going they have wow. no success and if he's not going he is the top line really let's be and honest as you nailed it because if, if he's not going they're in trouble and he's not going to the playoffs that's why they're always in trouble that's exactly how it boils down to Richard the Washington Capitals continue to have a hole on defense without a top shutdown defenseman on their roster Mike Green Jeff Schultz Carl Asner John Carlson Tyler Sloan John Erskine and Tom Pody aren't the worst defense in the league, but they lack a shutdown defender capable of playing against the other team's best players. Yeah, you know, and Jeff Schultz was the, was, was the top plus minus in the league last year. That was, you know, you take take into account who he played with and, and, and all that stuff. And, it, you know, that plus minus stat's overrated anyways. So, I mean, he's a, I've talked about him before on the show. He's a good stay-at-home defenseman. He's not very fast. And... Um, you know he he, he that, that really that gives you know that gives him trouble against other teams' speedy players. Mike Green's improved defensively, guys. Let's not go crazy here. He's not he's not a he's not Chris Chelios. Uh, Carl you know Carl Olsner, He's uh, he was supposed to be an offensive guy. He's more of a defensive guy now, but. Uh, you know, he he's, he can make that first pass and he can be pretty solid, but he's still got some room to him. You know, he's a young player. Then you have John Carlson, who's a terrific puck mover, but but lacks in the defensive area, and he'll improve in that area. But think about that, guys. You have Holes, Green, Carlson, Alston. They talk about Erskine and Sloan. Guys, let's be honest here. They shouldn't be at the five or six in any contending team. They're just not good enough. And then Tom Pody is probably the best all-around defender on the roster, guys. You know, he's probably the number two or three guy here. And uh, I like I've come to like Tom Pody's game a lot. But the problem is, you don't have a guy you can put against to Sidney Crosby. And how long are the Cavs? going to ride out the storm here. Are they going to make a trade? Are they going to make a move? Or are they going to keep this defense? Because if they keep this defense, guys, they're not going to win, in my opinion. And it's been that, it's been that scenario for three years now for Washington. They just they, they break down in coverage. They, they make mistakes. They're just not... You know, if you're playing in matchups against the best team in the league, night in, night out, you know, in, in the playoffs, Sidney Crosby, who are you throwing up against him? Doesn't, it, it's there you go. Yeah, exactly. It there doesn't matter. Pittsburgh and has Mihailik and, and, and Martin. 
Yeah, exactly. Ezra, continuing on with defensemen, you think it has been rough sledding for several young defensemen early on this season. Tyler Myers, Drew Doughty, and Zach Bogosian may only be 20 or 21 years old, but a lot is expected of them right now, and they haven't had the same success that they had last season. Right, and this this isn't something new. You know, a lot of a lot of hockey guys are talking about this right now. But if you look at, at Drew Doughty, he obviously had has had missed missed some games with with an injury. Um, but you know, Tyler Myers on Buffalo, Buffalo's doing horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and you know he has two or three points. I think these guys. I was looking uh, these guys' stats combined. I think they have you know combined. They have well, Myers is doing a little bit better than the other two, but combined they have about ten points between the three of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know Drew Doughty, uh, you know like I said, he's back um, now. But you know these guys are all drafted in 2008, Drew, and none of them are are, are putting up any points. And all of these guys are, are being counted on for offense. And you know I realize that. You know, Ludman and 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 Talender are gone, and you know Buffalo's pretty thin defensively, but you know Tyler Myers, I, especially, is having a bit of a sophomore slump. Um, Drew Doughty, obviously, we don't expect him to 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 be slumping anymore, but Bogosian, once again, yep. counted on there in Atlanta, not putting up any numbers, so uh, it's a it's a little concerning now. But that's that's just the way it is. It's it's an early sophomore slump. We have to wait until the season unfolds before we say that all three of these guys are having they've either regressed or right a full season yeah. sophomore slump. But right now, I mean, a lot of those guys are are, are really well, not g- getting on the score sheet on a nightly basis. I mean, the truth is, you guys, you know, your Myers and second year other guys in their third year. The truth is, guys, is, is for other players sometimes in their sophomore slump or their third year slump, they have they start. We talked about before facing tougher competition. Exactly. Myers last year. Didn't he faced toughest competition on the team last year? So that's why it's a little bit odd. Now, obviously, Sean Morrison, guys like that playing beside him, as opposed to Henry Talender, is a huge drop off. But his play is going to get back up because he's not as bad as he's been playing. Richard, the New York Rangers may not be the most talented team in the NHL, but give John Tortorella credit because his players play hard they each play, and every night. They play hard, Drew. I mean, this is you know, there's not a lot of talent there. I mean, up front at least. Uh, and there's a lack of communication. I mean, you claim Todd White on waivers, and then you put him right down, you know, and then you don't even use him because your coach says he doesn't know how to use him. Well, then why'd you claim him? I mean, talk to the GM. It's ridiculous. Well, they're, they're, but the GM is, is, yeah. is a living corpse at this point in time. Yeah, terrible, true. He still won five Stanley Cups. Yeah, well, he won five Stanley Cups 25 years yeah, ago. He still won five Stanley Cups. Um, Glenn Sather, of course, being Mar- the general You know, manager. you have Mark Stahl, you have Daniel Girardi, you have Michael Dozzard. You have lots of young young talent on defense. I, I like that young defense. Obviously, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the top five net miners in the National Hockey League. So you have talent on the back end. Up front, they're, they're just a bunch of they're a bunch of parts. I mean, there's nothing goes together. Uh, but I'll tell you this. I mean, they got led by guys like Callahan and Dubinsky, and, and they're at, this team plays hard. I mean, they might not be the most talented team, but you're not getting any night outs from you guys. And give John Tortorella credit. I mean, I have some issues with him. Um... I think sometimes I don't think he adjusts his strategy, uh, you know, based on the players that he has. But he, these guys play hard. And, and if you're a New York Rangers fan, I mean, you have to obviously be wondering, you know, where this team is headed. Although there's a lot more young talent than there used to be. But where it's headed, you know, are they going to com- be able to compete with the top teams? Okay? But if you're going to watch them night in, night out, you're going to get a good effort. And I think that's one thing that you have to be happy about. Ezra, the NHL's uh, television broadcasts on TSN and Versus that do not feature an on-ice commentator are much more enjoyable that, than games that do feature one. On-ice commentators should be used only for special occasions. Tell us what you mean about this one. Right, Drew, and I also think that this could you know, could be elaborated. We c- I can elaborate here and say that on-ice interviews are, are unnecessary mm-hmm. during the game. Um, you know, the, 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 the most notorious guy uh, for this is Pierre Maguire. I mean, I'd say, right, on yes, ice com- uh, commentary. Yeah. He kind of made it necessary for, Other well, he actually does it for TSN and versus and NBC. Right. Right. Pierre Maguire is, uh, you know, is really the, the, the forefront guy leading the, the on ice commentary uh, here. But I, I just think that it, it's too much. Um, you know, you have, you, have, you have guys 
basically acting as color commentators while also you know letting you know what's what's going on in the bench. I I, I just I'm, I'm I'm a traditionalist here. I like I like a play-by-play guy and a color guy, and I think that on ice commentary should be reserved, held back for the odd game, not every game. And I think that, you know, CBC has, has followed suit here and, and they use on-ice commentators. I think that the traditional broadcasting, the tra- traditional sports cast broadcasting applies here. In the NFL, you don't see yep. coaches being interviewed in the middle of the game. And you don't, you don't on-field commentary is re- reserved for updates, injuries. I think... Just having an on-ice commentator there isn't necessary. Just to have him there. Well, so I, I mean, I think they did, their argument would be that they do it to be more fan-friendly and quote-unquote innovative. The coaches never say anything, anyways. I agree. The that players right. don't either. Right. And, and I think how CBC has done it, and what they've done is they have you know Simpson up top, and then Healy in the box with so a three-man booth. Yeah, I like that better. I mean, I think as his point is you know is well taken. I mean, Pierre is on the side there, but they don't have anybody up top with Miller, so that's basically what they're doing. You know, there's only one two up, guys. One up, one I like down. Maybe up here up top, and then somebody down low. Cause I, I personally think Ray Ferraro is the best color guy out there, especially TSN. I think he's very good. I mean, on, and, uh, on that topic, Pierre Maguire is the best at it. Don't get me wrong. Ray, Ray Ferraro I, I, does I, it. I like Pierre but, Maguire, but not like every, not everyone is as intelligent people, yeah. and articulate as 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 Pierre Maguire. Let's, let's be honest. Sometimes I mean, some he, guys just don't have that pet, much. Sometimes he has his own pet projects and he hypes them a little bit uh, too much. And you're thinking to yourself, "Are we watching the same game? You know, what are you talking about?" Right. That, that's my only criticism. That sometimes yep. he gets a little carried away with, you know, quote unquote, his yeah, guys. Very knowledgeable. But I mean, I like both those guys. But I, th- I think I think as these points will take maybe Pierre, Pierre up top and then another guy down there would be a good compliment. I like having I like the idea of having somebody down below for you know they do provide some insight. Hey, two guys yeah, are, yeah, yeah. two guys are chirping at each right other on. back and forth. Right. Something like that. I think that's relevant. Or hey, somebody you know uh, is going to miss the next couple shifts because they're they're skate broke or something along those lines i think that's relevant and, and and informative but i do understand what you're saying you know that sometimes that you lose a little bit of the flow to the game by without having a color guy sitting next to your play-by-play guy final one a final thing that we learned this week michael frolick of the florida panthers is one of the underrated young talents in the nhl he can skate handle the puck and create offense with his vision he may not be a future 40 goal scorer but he can be a 30 goal 70 point player and florida doesn't have many of those He's got he's got good size guys. He's uh, he can skate. He's can ho- he can handle the puck as, as you know as we just said. His, his vision is, is is very is is the biggest to me is the biggest aspect of his game. He's got he's a terrific passer. He sees the game really well. He's a step ahead. Um, he hasn't played with the most talented players in Florida, but he's starting to get bigger minutes. I know he scored 21 goals in his first two seasons. And the thing you have to understand is last year 21 goals was a letdown. I thought he should have been better than that because his first season he scored 21 goals. I think. Something like 20 of them are at even strength. He's, he's, a, he's a talent. Um, Florida doesn't have a ton of talent, and I, I'm wondering if, if he's overtaken David Booth as the most talented forward on the team. Um, that's, a, that's a debate, and that's a debate worth having. And I, and I think that when you're a team like Florida and you're trying to accumulate young talent, you know, they have their draft, they draft Gibbonson and, and Bukestad and, and, and McFarland, all those guys, you know, and you have guys, um, you have the young goaltender whose name escapes me right now, uh, and you have guys Marks, like Jacob Marks, 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 and you have yeah. Keaton Ellerby and guys yeah. like that. I mean, there's a lot of young talent, but you have to get be able to score. And that was like the key to Chicago with Dale Town's team. And, and Michael Froelich is a nice building block for that team. And, and I, I like what he brings to the table. And they should get, you know, they they, they get more guys than Michael Froelich. They're going to be in pretty good shape. It's just fun, it's funny, Rich. You mentioned Froelich being underrated. 
I, I think in Florida, we it's it's almost the hockey market uh, that you see the least yep. year after year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many guys on Florida that you you have nothing. You don't know, you don't yeah. know anything about them because you never see them. Which is why we're doing this. Tampa, why we're doing this. Which is odd because Tampa's usually in the uh, superstars. Uh, you know, superstars. I mean, there's always they're always in the media, not always for good things. Yeah. You know, as we saw during the debacle of the. Uh, of uh, the previous ownership, but uh, you know, Florida is a very much an anonymous team. Well, Drew, how anonymous was? I mean, speaking of anonymous, Nathan Horton. How often do you yep, see Nathan true. Horton on the highlight? Well, well now, now, now you watch one Boston and you see what you're missing out on. Right. Let's leave it there. Good segment, guys. When we come back, we're going to preview Hockey Night in Canada, and we're going to go around the beat. The beat goes on for some articles from our the beat writers in the NHL. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. Insight, analysis, and opinions on all things hockey. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on Sports Radio 1290. Second hour underway. We thank Sean Gordon from the Globe and Mail for joining us in the first hour. Of course, if you want to get involved in the show, you know, send us some tweets. We want to hear from you at Illegal Curve on Twitter. Go to the IllegalCurve.com and you can uh, join the Cover It Live chat where, you know, hockey fans from around the world are chatting about the things that are important to them in the hockey world being facilitated on the other side of the glass by our good friend Michael Remus. So join us there if you want to talk hockey. Anyways, it's time to go uh, as the beat goes on. Where we, uh, well, actually, we're going to preview Hockey Night in Canada first. Sorry, Let's do that. Jumping ahead there. Uh, you really the two. We're going to talk about the two national games, quote unquote, tonight. Even though Hockey Night in Canada has three, mm-hmm. uh, three games on the on their early season schedule, the most of the country will be getting the Vancouver at Toronto game, which is. I always like these sort of West Coast games where the West Coast Canadian team comes east. I agree. Plays the early yeah. game. There's something special about it to me. I, I don't know why that is because um, there's certainly nothing special about watching the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. But, I mean, you got Brian Burke going up against his old team or yep. like two old, I guess, two teams ago. Uh, this, I mean, I, I think it's asking a lot for the Leafs to win this game, but they have to be competitive. I th- first off, I think I know why it's so special. It's because you don't you don't see these that's games right, very right. often, right? You, and but that's a shame. As, that's simple, a shame. By yeah, the way. simple as that. But those no, you you see from the east and the west, it's great. Um, I, I think Toronto. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they they actually won this game big time, Drew. I mean, the, you know, and and hear, hear me out here, and 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 this is why I think they're they're due here. And you know, Kadri will be making his debut along with you know Keith Ollie. He's the guy that that nobody's talking also about. Also in the, the Calgary deal, right? And he was yeah. part of the deal. Why not? You know, why not get excited about him? But um, th- this is going to be a great game, and you know, I I, I think Toronto's going to win this one. Vancouver, I realize, is on seven game winning streak now. Um, and are playing no, the best seven, talk. They lost to uh, Montreal. Or sorry, they were on a s- yeah. seven-game winning streak. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. Um, they won right after in Ottawa. Right, and they're, they're rolling. I mean, Ezzy, yeah. I, th- I think I think the thing is, uh, we didn't talk about it all, but you're br- calling up Kadri and Ali for against arguably, in my opinion, maybe the best team in the NHL. Yeah. So they're the, the way they've been playing. I mean, I mean, you're setting them up for failure there too. I mean, I, I just don't think that Toronto can keep up with Vancouver in any aspect of the game, guys. In any aspect, special teams. Certainly not at five on five, and that's the most important part of the game. They certainly can't keep up with them in five on five. They have, they're outmatched in goal, they're outmatched in defense, and they're outmatched in forward. And you could say they're outmatched in uh, a coach. Guys, I mean, Vancouver should win this game hands down. I know as he thinks Toronto maybe to get the spark there, but I, I think talent wise, I mean, anybody anything can happen any night. But talent wise, I mean, Toronto was setting their youngsters up for a, a rude awakening. And I think about Vancouver especially. I mean, this isn't the, you know the second night of a back-to-back on an East Coast trip. They've had a day off, uh, you know, in between the two games. It's an easy trip from Ottawa to Toronto, mm-hmm. of course. Right. I think that uh, I mean, 
I think Vancouver's the better team by far. I just think Toronto needs to have some sort of showing of respectability that they haven't had in so long. Fair. The late game tonight, Calgary at San Jose. Uh, always a good crowd in San Jose, so yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward to that. Yeah. You know, a passionate crowd. I think this is just San Jose's game to win. Calgary's on the second half of a back-to-back. They lost last night in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure they'll enjoy playing in front of fans, though. That, this will be a nice change yeah, for them uh, as opposed to last night in Phoenix. Um, I, San Jose's a better team. I think it's just that simple. Yeah, I mean, San Jose is a better team, Drew. They're going to outshoot the Calgary almost assuredly, and, and uh, Calgary's going to have to you know, be opportunistic because... You know, especially Jerome McGinley. I mean, we talked some, at some point. It's November now, so he's got to get going here. And Renee Bork and Curtis Glencross and those guys kind of like keep this team going for so long. So, McGinley to me is, is the key to that game, and Stanley should be favored. But Calgary, if McGinley, you know, pops a couple here and then they play a solid game, there's a reason why they can't beat San Jose. Right. Once again, you know, just speaking in the moment, I think you know San Jose. You know, no one, no every. They're obviously the favorite uh, here. Um, but you know, Calgary. I, I I think tonight I like it. I, I like them to win this game. Um, and you like Calgary to win this game? I'm not, I'm not picking I, I, the best team here. I'm, I'm yeah. liking Calgary to win tonight. Well, you're, you're playing the role of the contrarian yeah. very well in this the segment. So, I mean, uh, I wouldn't want to bet with you. I'll bet against oh, you. No, I'm not. But I'm not no, going to bet. There's no betting you. involved here. I'm just talking about the game. Friendly and, and, wagers. You know, That's Calgary. Calgary. I mean, Vernon Fiddler got a hat trick last night. I mean, it's pretty. God. It's yeah. pretty bad for Calgary when they're giving up. They're giving up too many goals. They're giving up too many shots. Um, but you know, but, uh, but I, I like I like note, the effort. On a positive they, they note, so far this year, they lead the league in players getting arrested for uh, punching cabbies for no very good reason. I knew you were going to bring that up what, what about when we least expected it. That's of course Brett Sutter, yeah. the, uh, yeah. the now, son, I mean, son of general manager and, and nephew of head coach. Uh, my issue is not so much with the arrest itself. Because I don't know what happened. I mean, some guy could have tried to do no, something. No, apparently it was completely unprovoked. He just punched a cabbie in the face. Cabbie? Cabbie. Everybody hates cabbies. By the way, for our listeners, that's players. not cabbie from the score. That is a, a cab driver. Arizona cabbie yeah. The bigger driver. issue Be- is that, yeah. that Brett Sutter is on the flames. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't help matters. But between Patrick Kane yeah. and Brett Sutter, why, does, why do all these young NHL players hate cabbies? Well, like punching a cabbie, why is Brett Sutter on the flames? Shouldn't be. Besides, well, how about the fact that his, uh, his dad's the general manager and well, his uncle's the head coach? So hold on, guys. This is this is important though. We almost have an all-cabbie team with Nikolai Habibulin and goal, <laughs> Patrick Kane, uh, Brett we'll Sutter. Deal with that next I know, week. honestly, we have, we <laughs> bad, a couple more guys. But I mean, I think this is a question of Brett Sutter has been a healthy scratch almost the entire season. So he's going to punch a cabbie because um, of this. No, no, but I mean, he's he's, he's he, no, I mean, not rage-filled, but he's he's having some rough times. And let's be honest. He he drank too much. He partied too much, and. A couple of weeks from now, we're not going to be talking about this. He didn't. He didn't do anything else ex- aside and embarrass himself. You, you've drank too much. You've never punched a cabbie. I, I've never punched anyone. But I mean, I'm just talking about the, the, as far as this story goes here. I, I don't think it's going to help him get in the lineup. I think it's just a question of him needing to control one way, himself. Just give him a, a one-way ticket down to the minors. Is what, what is, what is it about Arizona, by the way? Why is it everyone gets so liquored yeah, up in, Ari- in the state too. of yeah. Arizona I don't know. and and has issues with cab drivers? What cold, is that? Cold beer, hot weather. Uh, let's go. Let's let's go uh, to the uh, uh, to the beat goes on. The illegal curb hockey show presents the beat goes on. Be honest, I forgot we had that music there. That's, but I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you guys are on the ball. By the way, well, that audio clip that was fifty thousand dollars worth of recording time right there, <laughs> just so everyone knows that. Uh, starting in Detroit with uh, Greg, Greg Krupa of the Detroit News, who had an article about uh, Reese, who about uh, senior vice president of the Detroit Red Wings, Jim Del, Jim Devilano, who was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame this past week. Uh, really, a guy who's underrated. He was the architect of two Stanley mm-hmm. Cup winning dynasties. That's right, the New York Islanders in the uh, late '70s, early '80s, and uh, and of course the current Detroit Red Wings. Richard, 
Jimmy Devlin, not people, not enough people know about him. At least of this generation, uh, the truth is, guys, obviously, you know, played a role with Bill Torrey, uh, building the Islanders and then then building the the Red Wings from the ground up. The, the biggest, the, the most interesting thing to me about Jimmy Devlin is he never played in the NHL, and he's a he's a spokesperson for being able to identify hockey talent with regardless of whether you played in the NHL or not. And I think that speaks to, you know, his perseverance, but also you know his, his uh, perseverance and confidence. You know, you don't need to have been Bobby Clark and those guys to be able to build an NHL team. This guy did it. He worked hard. He took a scouting job for free. If you read the article, Greg Cooper does a great job here of chronicling how Jimmy Devolano got to where he, 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 he did. And I think that um, he deserves a lot of credit. And um, there's few few better than him. It, it, it's interesting how many people you know take these really volunteer positions to get their foot in the door, mm-hmm. and then they prove themselves. And, That's I mean, right. uh, any, you know, the hardest part is always cracking through the, the, the right. glass ceiling. And once you're through there, then you can prove yourself. So, I mean, you know, kudos to Jim DeVolano on a, on a tremendous uh, hockey career. Really one of the brightest minds that, like you said, Richard, very few people ever talk about uh, as in the hockey world. Moving to Washington, where a good, pro, a good friend of this program, Tariq El-Bashir, wrote for the Washington Post about the uh, Washington Capitals' success on the ice has translated, not surprisingly, to off-ice ticket sales success. So much so that next season, the uh, Washington Capitals expect that they will not have to sell one single ticket aside from season tickets. Great news. Oh, I, I wish we heard about this about uh, every single team in the U.S. Really, mm-hmm. yeah, but we don't. It's, 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 a, it's a red storm there. They wore those red jerseys that get really amped up. Obviously, I mean, you have the, arguably the best player in the National Hockey League in Alexander Ovechkin, an exciting brand of hockey. And Bruce Boudreau, that might change if they keep losing out here, though. But um, you know what I mean in the playoffs. But yeah, the, the, an exciting brand of hockey, uh, an upstart young team, a team that's willing to go and play a little fire wagon, a, a good young netminders, and you know, to be honest, guys, uh, a struggling Washington Redskins franchise. For the most part, moving sideways, uh, Washington Wizards franchise that has a ways to go. Well, and, the, and, uh, and the Washington uh, Nationals team that you know lost Steven Strasburg for a whole year. You, you you own that city right now, don't you? That's right, absolutely. I mean, uh, you got. I mean, the only thing. I mean, it's still a football city first and foremost. Right. Because, but I mean, with the Redskins and the Shanahan and McNabb but controversy, ho- and yeah, the only good team in that city right now is the Washington Capitals. But hockey, essentially, we always boil down to hockey versus basketball, and the Capitals. Own the Wizards right now. Well, would you? I mean, the Wizards are. I mean, I'm just saying, like that's that's yeah, the battle, disarray. Right? That's the battle. I mean, they're starting from. They're, they're where the they they are where the Capitals were four or five years ago, right. where the season ticket base was down, uh, you know, right. to four thousand people. Pick. There was yeah. nobody there, and, and you know, Alex Ovechkin falls in your lap, and maybe for the Washington Wizards, John Wall is their Alex Ovechkin. Right, and from everything we've heard, Alex Ovechkin is is absolutely loved there. Oh, yeah. um, you know, he's a rock star there, and and it's tough. It's tough in the U.S. to beca- to actually crack open and become a rock star as an, a hockey player. Um, For all he said, Drew, all Drew says about yeah. Ezzy, all Drew says about McNabb, Ovechkin's the biggest superstar in that city. Yeah. Right now he is. Well, of course, because McNabb is, I mean, uh, you, when you get benched for Rex Grossman, and uh, we're, we're diver, you know. True, what are you, uh, Joe Theismann here? No, my, leg's still fir- my leg is still firmly attached to my head. I mean, Drew, that, that's significant. I mean, we're talking Washington, D.C. here. Mm-hmm. We're talking, you know, Michael Jordan was in Washington, D.C. Yep. I mean, this isn't, this isn't uh, I mean, uh, I know. obviously but Michael Jordan belongs to Chicago, let's be honest. But I hear exactly but, what you're saying. It's nice yeah. to see hockey take over a city that has uh, four other major really sports. Is. It's great, great to hear. I wish I, we heard this about all those uh, Sunbelt teams. That's why we did a segment. Going to yeah. Calgary, Scott Cruikshank of the Calgary Herald with a very interesting article on how flame centerman Ole Jokinen is uh, struggling to adjust to Brent Sutter's system. Let's talk about Ole Jokinen for a second. I mean, the expectations are high, and then he doesn't He has been horrible. He has, but let's, he has let's, been let's, brutal. Let's, 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 let's talk about Cruikshank's article. We've had Cruikshank on the show, I believe, once before. Let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second, guys. He played for Mike Keenan. If you watch Mike Keenan's Calgary team, it's a free-flow, old-time style. 
you know, you, you work him hard and you let him go on offense, whatever the heck they want to do. He's playing in a structured system here. Maybe that's something that we should give a little more credence to is that this guy is going to a defensive style. He has to be a different spot in the ice, especially as a center. He has more defensive responsibility, and he can't roam like he did for, for uh, Mike Keenan. I think that's a factor here that has to be pointed out. I think it's what's interesting to note in the article, though, is that they give Jokinen credit for he is putting in the work. Yes. And this is a guy who's so had a bum, has had a reputation of maybe not wanting to do the dirty work and do the little things to make himself better and make the team better. But this is interesting that it seems like he's trying to buy into a system. There's a learning curve, but it seems like he is giving it his all to try and buy into the system. So that's you know good for Ole Jokinen there. Uh, final article as we go uh, as the beat goes on here. From the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Shelley Anderson, a new, numerous-time guest on this program, Sidney Crosby is fast becoming a dominant in the face-off circle. You know, the most interesting part of this article, to me, was the fact that, you know, most players in the NHL are better on their backhands than they are on their forehands for taking face-offs, and I believe most people who play out there would, would agree with that if they're, if they're centermen. I certainly feel that way. Sidney Crosby has become equally good at taking f- draws on his forehand and on his backhand, and I'll tell you, that's, that's one thing, guys. Sure, that's hand-eye coordination. Sure, that's a certain gift that he has. That is hard work. This guy wants to get better. And hard work pays off, and, and he is absolutely proving that to be the case. And, Richie, it's great to, it's great to read articles like this. We'd actually, we've actually we had Shelly Anderson, I think, on three times, and we talked yeah. talk to her about this. Crosby started working on he his did. face-off yeah. a lot uh, two years ago. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, me and Richard are coaching right now, and it's something that, you know, Kids at a young age don't understand how important it is, mm-hmm. but you really realize how important face-offs are in the playoffs when each p- puck possession is really important. Yeah. And it's really nice to see that Crosby's not only continuing to work on it, but he's actually trying to become the best at it. And, and, he, and, and it's something that face-offs, people don't re- that f- don't follow, follow hockey realize that, you know, it's a coin flip. Face-offs are a coin flip. But when you're skilled at face-offs, mm-hmm. it isn't a coin flip anymore. Exactly and it's actually right. really hard to win a face-off against somebody that really has their technique down. Before we go to break, it's worth pointing out here on Twitter. So, you know, of course, everybody else can uh, follow us on Twitter, at Illegal Curve. Good friend of this program uh, from the CTV News, Leah Hextall, just gave us a shout-out for mentioning Keith Ollie. Uh, she's so glad because she is a former ban- uh, Brandon Wheat King. Uh, that's she's right. A former yes. Brandon Wheat King. That's right. And, of course, yes. according to Leah Hextall, he's the gem of the Calgary deal as it relates to the Phaneuf uh, trade from last Keith, season. Keith Ollie was, Keith Ollie was, was part – there's – you know, and pe- people look back at trades and they say that, you know, this guy wasn't a huge part of the deal. Every single guy, and especially in a salary cap world, he's a huge part of the deal. He's 21 years old. He's got lots of talent. There you go. Let's leave it there. When we come back from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Jeremy Rutherford will be joining us to talk about the St. Louis Blues. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. Get the story on and off the ice. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Legal Curve Hockey Show here on this Saturday morning live at Sports Radio 1290 here in beautiful Winnipeg, Manitoba. We're going to be talking about the St. Louis Blues. We're waiting to be uh, to get a call from Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Post Dispatch. The Blues are really an interesting team. Uh, you know, young, talented as almost as talented as any team in the NHL right now. Uh, and had a great start to the year. And I mean, we've all we've been well documented how successful Yaroslav Halak mm-hmm. has been so far. Yeah, but. The injury bug is beginning to uh, ride up and bite the Blues, and that'll a little, be the, little that'll be the interesting test to see if they can persevere through that injury. No, they haven't got the New Jersey Devils bug yet, but they're they're getting it. They're I'll the this, Devils of the full out bug. As they're uh, they're certainly a talented team, as Drew mentioned, but they're not a deep team. And when you're not a deep team and you have injuries, which you should expect throughout the season, it, it hurts you. Speaking of, speaking of that, what team is really deep that can handle that? I mean, the, there's a few teams that come to mind: the Flyers. 
Flyers can absolutely. I mean, Washington can. Pittsburgh used to Vancouver be. Vancouver Pittsburgh not anymore. Yeah, Vancouver. Detroit can. I mean, there, there are some, but there aren't. Uh, there aren't a lot. I mean, yeah. Chicago can't really. Oh, anymore. the moose. Are, the moose are just are are, are locked with guys that are just waiting oh, yeah. to yeah. be called up with uh, by the Canucks. So this, this is a team that you know right now on the back end, guys. They have Koliakovos out, and they lost Jackman, and they lost Roman Polak, and they lost Perron to the concussion. You know, last week we talked about Joe Thornton. We didn't. Perron at that point in time had played the night before and scored. Well, now he's out because with a concussion, he's not playing this weekend, as far as we can tell. And then you so you have David Perron with injury. Then you have you break. You have T.J. Oshie out for three months, guys. I mean, that's that's two of your top six uh, wingers there. Two guys who can produce offense at, on a team that you know we talked about it last week, guys. Eddie, how many goals do the uh, Blues have so far this season? Oh, hold on, just you, let me check here. If you look, if you look right now, I mean, they played how many games? And give me how many goals they have because it's not a good ratio. I mean, Yaroslav Halak, we had talked about it last week. He has to be good because that team can't score right now. And then they've got 35 goals, which if you compare it to one of the top team in the league, Washington, 58. And how many games <laughs> have they played? 35 That's pretty goals. Bad. And how many games? Uh, the St. Louis Blues have played 15 games. It's not good, guys. I mean. I have it at 14. A, I have 14, 14 games. 14, 14 games, games, 35 goals. So they're a little over two goals a game, which, yeah. uh, which you know. What do you expect to win the NHL, sparing just over two goals a game? No, you don't. Uh, but I, and I mean, and you can't expect Yaroslav Halak to continue up with his with his current. I mean, let's look at Halak's stats because I mean he's really the backbone of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean he's they're great. Right, he was the, the backbone of the team when their when their defense was healthy. Now their defense right. is not good healthy. Point. Good point. And I mean, and they're playing really guys way out of position where they really should slot in. I mean, Halak is. I mean, he's got 12 games played. He's only got 21 goals against. Goals against average of 1.79. Save percentage of 9.32 and three shutouts. I mean, those are. Those are really unbelievable numbers, eight two and two record. Um, but I mean, that's with the you know they just don't have the same defense that they that they had earlier in the year now, and that'll be the you know are they going to have to adapt their style? I mean, you know, it's hard to do that in the middle of the year. But you know, one thing I do like about St. Louis, and let's talk about that, because I mean, they they re-signed uh, David Backus. I want to uh, talk yesterday. about that in a second. Okay, but I mean, they're really they're getting their young guys under contract, very similar to what Chicago did. I mean, without you know, sort of being under the gun and, and having it cause the cap situation it did last year. Okay. But they're getting their team really signed so that these guys are going to know this will be our team going forward. These are the guys who will have your back for the number of years going forward. And I sort of like that strategy. These guys can hopefully gel together and become you know a, a more cohesive unit. Did you overpay, though? Well, that's the question. I mean, what do you think? I thought they overpaid a bit. I mean, I, I like David Backus. You're talking about a guy who, who who's a fan of David Backus's game. He plays a hard-nosed game. He goes to the net. He can put the puck in the net. He's not, he's not great at that. Um, he can play both ways. He's a good all-around player, guys. But are you paying 4.5? They're signed to a five-year deal with $22 million, which averages out to 4.5 per year. Are you paying? Are you paying a guy to basically... You know, to possibly score 50 points, 4.5 million bucks, guys. You know, is right. David Back is anything more than a 60 point player? We have to debate that. At best, is he? And and I don't know. I'd say probably nothing more than 60 points. Maybe 50 on a, on a regular year is 4.5 million dollars too much for 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 50 points? That, doesn't that have to be the question here, guys? I mean, the Blues have a lot of young talent, but is the offensive upside? There are Stamkos's out there. So how much are you paying? For the output, there's obviously the question of is it too much too early? Um, and Bacchus is young, and I guess the, the the positive here, I mean, this is kind of you know getting back to what Drew touched on. He he's part of the the, the future of the team because mm-hmm. you know Korea's gone, Kachuk is gone. That's right. Um, basically, Andy McDonald is is your your elder statesman, so, right. so to well, speak, right? right? And, and he's he's not old either. And we should talk about the Andy McDonald contract because that one jumps out as me being, I mean, four point two million dollars for Andy McDonald over the next three years. It's a lot. I, that struck me as a, as a potential albatross. But Speed's I mean, a big part of his game, and if he's not going, I mean, he's playing wing right now. They might have to, because they have center, their centers right now are uh, Berglund and 
He's a key guy to get, he's a key guy though that you have to stick with your rookies because they 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 are not well, they're not rookies anymore but you're yeah, youngsters. Youngster, yeah. I mean that, that team is littered with youngsters and I mean you ha- you have to have I mean a guy like Carlo Koliakovo I mean he's he's a veteran in the NHL even right. though he's 27 28 right. years old but you have to have these guys on that team because now you've given you've basically given that team to to David Perron, TJ Oshie, right. David Backus. It's I their mean, it's their team now. I mean Brad Boys. Oshie's an RFA after this season. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, after the yeah, after this season mm-hmm. he's an he's an RFA. Um you have David Perron who's an RFA after next season. Okay. Um Alex Steen's contract is a little worrisome for me. Three point five six million for the uh through two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. I mean you know, why, why is it worrisome? The truth is Drew, he might actually put up the same amount of points as Backus, so I, the same age? They got to be around the same age. Uh, I'll have to check on that. So you know, Drew, on, on, I, I, you know, on the positive note here for the Blues, all of these guys are, are they might be getting you know five year contracts or I mean, Steen Backus is twenty six and Steen is twenty six. Right. Remember, so. Backus was a target of the Vancouver Canucks offer sheet during that battle two years right. ago. Yeah. yeah, the offer sheet battle. Backus is on his third contract, the same as Steen. So, what they're doing here with Backus guys is they're buying out his UFA years. Is what they're doing. If they're getting slightly overpaid though in, in the salary oh, cap Uf- world, Uf- it's Uf- a good age to be overpaid. Right, UFAs get overpaid. You know, they get, they yeah. get paid, you know, they'll get paid more. Six, yeah. RFAs get about 60% on the dollar. It's weird how in the offseason we heard a lot about how, you know, guys weren't accepting deals. And, and we, he- we heard, um, you know, that Jeff Tambellini, who's now playing in the moose because mm-hmm. he was bumped off by Alex Burroughs, but he, he made the decision that, you know, I'm going to jump on this contract and get this offer now while I can. Right. Um, and uh, in, to, to the Blues' credit, you know, the, they, they're, they're signing guys – these these guys are getting signed for roles, Drew. I mean, the reason why you know Alex Steen he might be he might in in you know c- compared to other guys making similar money, getting more points. But Steen is is, is has developed into an all around character player for this team. He gets yeah, yeah. He, he, he Alex yeah, Steen gets clutch goals for this team, and um, you know I, I think th- that contract is not uh, well, uh, bad. You know, boys is killing them right now too. I mean, the, guy, yeah. the Blues are a team in the right direction, guys. But you know, are we overstating their young talent a bit? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Are we, though? We're obviously having trouble tracking down Jeremy Rutherford, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch right now. Uh, Let's let's talk about the TJ Oshie injury, because we haven't really mentioned that. He's going to be out for the next uh, four to six weeks. Yep. Uh, no, he's might be more. No, no, more than that. that. Sorry, more three than months. That, three months. I'm yeah. getting my injuries confused right now. Twelve I mean, weeks. Yeah, he's out. He's out three months with a broken left ankle. What does his injury mean to the Blues? Spark plug. He's physical. He's got pretty good hands. He goes to the net. He's he's a he's a good guy in the locker room to have. He's a little out of his mind the way he plays. He's a he's a Theo, he's a he's a poor man's Theo Fleury. Not as, not as talented, but he plays a similar style. They're small. They're reckless. They're gonna miss him. I mean, again, this team doesn't have loaded with doesn't load with offense. McDonald's struggling. Boys is having another poor year so far. Uh, back isn't the sniper. Perron's concussion. I mean, this this that offense right now they're gonna lack and they're gonna hurt. They're gonna hurt. And T.J. Oshie is a guy who can produce that offense for cheap right now. Hey guys, isn't it pretty funny that you know two American stars who both are now out for three months? They both went to UND. T.J. Oshie, wow. Zach Parise. Yeah, UND luck. guys. Bad luck. Richie, you're a UND guy. Well, I know, T.J. Oshie was... So I mentioned it. He had some funny, uh, there's some funny T.J. Oshie stories from UND. Did you go to uh, Caribou Coffee with T.J. Oshie <laughs> no, once? Yeah. Are they, are they, are they, are they radio appropriate? He got arrested for uh, urinating in, the, I think, the back of a bar. He was arrested. There was a big story when I was there. Well, I mean, those, the guys, are, those guys have a bit of a complex, the UND hockey player guys? Yeah, what, a UND hockey know. complex? Well, I mean, I think, are they, are, they the, are they the big man on campus? Well, they are. I mean, that's fine. BMOC. They got drafted. They're, 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 they're okay to be. I'm just saying that he was a, he's a little bit of a wild child, to put it that way. Okay. 
one other weird. I mean, St. Louis was a lot in the news this week, so this is that's yep. why we wanted to get Jeremy Rutherford on. But one last story regarding the Blues: a really bizarre confrontation mm-hmm. between the Blues and the Blue Jackets prior to their game on Wednesday uh, at the at the, the Nationwide Arena in Columbus. Apparently, both teams. And it's just frequent in the NHL. Both teams warm up before the game by playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Sort of they kick a ball around in a circle. And they usually do it at opposite ends of a long hallway, so there's no real interaction. Apparently the Blues have been known to sort of been encroaching on other teams' territory, oh, for right. lack of a better word, as it relates to the soccer game. And it resulted in a serious verbal confrontation. RJ Amberger ran through the Blues and told them to get the heck out of there, and then they said something to him, and then they got the, the, the Blue Jackets got the security guards to move them over, and there was some yelling and screaming, and... And then the Blues decided to not only encroach on their space, but lose 8-1. I love that. That's great. <laughs> well, you know, that's two, two young teams in the Central Division like that are going to be fighting all year? That's well, great. I like I to see, I agree with you. I like, I like I to see honest anima- animosity, and it's good for the Blue Jackets. You know, Protect your own turf, yeah. and then do it on the ice, because they yeah. really protected their own turf with that 8-1, with that 8-1 victory hey, over the Blues. Nothing on wrong with that. A little bit of uh, a little bit of passion in the middle of uh, November has never hurt anybody. Right? Bringing no, a little hooliganism into hockey. And if they, they meet each other another five times this year, it'll be even better. Anyways, that's uh, next coming up on the next segment. NHL news and notes. We'll go around the league, talk about some things of issue. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. If it happened in hockey, backhand scores. You'll hear all about it. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. 11:30 in the morning here on Sports Radio 1290. It's time for NHL news. And those. NHL. NHL. News and notes. We start NHL news and notes today in Philadelphia, where the Philadelphia Flyers signed a potential. He would have been an RFA after this season, so currently under contract, and they re-signed uh, forward Claude Giroux to a three-year, eleven point two five million dollar contract extension. Uh, you know, Giroux, a talented young player, you know, frequently a couple of years ago was a target of the Montreal Canadiens in trade talks. What does Giroux mean to the Philadelphia Flyers? One of the most talented young players in the National Hockey League. Um, just a, 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 so much skill there, a good skater, a good, good, good vision. I mean, he's going to be a top, top player. They got him, they signed him into a good deal here. Now, you see what they're doing is they're buying out his, uh, you know, his second year contract, they're buying yeah. the second level deal. They're buying three years, and what they're doing is, if you see this, basically every deal, guys, is, is it doesn't lead them all the way into UFA yet, so it leads them still into RFA years, and they do three years, and then every year the, the salary increases because at the end of the deal, He'll be ready for a bigger salary. Well, yeah, you, you have all your, you know, you, you have your rights, and you can't go, you know, less than ten percent, blah blah blah, unless the team wants to get rid of you. And so, the, if it's that, I think it's something five something at the last part of the deal. We can check on that five something at the last part of the deal. So that next year, he'll be making at least five mil. So that's why the agent structures the deal the way it is. Three-year deal average is three point seven five. There's a very good chance that Claude Giroux, if given an opportunity to play a lot in Philadelphia, because there is so much depth, there is a very good, a very good possibility that he outperforms. That contract, and yeah, good, and, good, it, and it, good, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say, good for Ed Snyder and Paul Holmgren for getting the deal done because yeah. you know uh, Richard mentioned David Backus uh, getting getting a contract offer and is an RFA. Mm-hmm. You have to think Claude Giroux would have been a huge I mean, target. They they would have been you know wetting wetting their mouths would have been you know super wet uh, just salivating at the thought of getting Claude Giroux. So. Mm-hmm. But I mean, here's the salary structure: two point seven five next year, three and a half the year after, and five million in the final year of the RFA deal. So they could qualify deal. him. What Great happens deal. is they have to qualify him. That's right. Yeah. And the five million is that minimum, and he's not going to make less than that the next and year. That, and that's in the year 2014, 2015. He's going to be in the five, six million dollar range, assuming that all things go well with yep. his career. And that's really where he belongs because he's got that much talent. And 
conceivably the way they're setting this up, he could very well be a Philadelphia Flyer for life. And, and Andrew, yeah. talking about uh, last week, talking about uh, you know playmaking uh, being um, mm-hmm. you know you know sexier than than goal scoring. I mean, Claude Giroux is a master around the net, and he he seems to be a guy on Philadelphia with all that talent there. Van Riemsdyk is a youngster too, but Claude Giroux seems to be one of those guys where. You know, hockey fans. The more and more they watch this guy, they, they start to yep. think that this is going to be one guy that's going to help them win a cup one day. For for all you do, for all the talk about, um, for all the talk about uh, Detroit's drafting, give me Philadelphia's draft team any day of the week. We usually do pretty well there. Um, let's. I'm going to skip over number two. We'll come back to it after number three. Vincent LeCavalier of the Tampa Bay Lightning broke his hand. He's out three to four weeks. Yep. Um, you know, the, the the Lightning have a ton of offense. They have mm-hmm. no defense. What does this loss really ultimately mean? Well, we talked about earlier in the show, two segments ago, we talked about depth, Desi. You know, who, which teams can withstand injuries because of they have an extremely, an extremely deep roster. Well, I'll tell you one team that can't do it is Tampa Bay Lightning because they lack on the third and fourth lines, um, and then they lack at the back end of their defense, um, and they don't have the greatest goaltending. They need to be able to score. They are gonna. I know Lecavier wasn't the hottest when he got injured, but, but they don't have Gagne right now. His neck's still bothering him. They lose Lecavier. You know, guys like Downey and Malone, and those guys are good when they're complimenting St. Louis, Stamkos, and then obviously LeCavier and Gagne. But when they're not doing that, when they have to be counted on more to just score, that's trouble. So right now, you're going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you're going to have Steven Stamkos and Martin St. Louis who play together. And you're going to be able to focus your best defensive duo on them. And then the other, and then your other defensive duos, you'll be like, oh, well, we'll match them up against any of those guys. I mean, there's nobody there that scares me. Dominic Moore and Sean Bruggenheim play well in the third line, and I like what they bring. But no defense pairing is getting scared of them. So last time they played Pittsburgh, Stamkos scores. They lose 5-1. Sapko scores on a pass from St. Louis on the power play. What happened to even strength? Well, they they don't have the depth right now to challenge That's even right. strength. I mean, like you said, they can, you know, uh, first uh, a first a first pairing defense defense, so at least most first pairing defense in the NHL mm-hmm. can can probably handle not necessarily shut them down altogether normally, but they can at least handle and match up against uh, Stamkos and St. Louis. Yeah, Drew, it, it leaves a void and and you know, Tampa Bay was <laughs> I mean, Pittsburgh is, is has injuries, and, and mm-hmm. Pittsburgh really really gave it to them last night. They don't play tonight. They play on, uh, on Sunday in the afternoon um, against Minnesota. So if they don't if they don't beat Minnesota's been struggling. I mean, I when we did our preseason uh, you know picks, I, I picked Minnesota to be the last place team in the NHL. If they don't beat Minnesota, there's something to be concerned about because Tampa they don't they don't have quite a good enough record that they can they can afford to go on a, a little run here. But the good news is that. It's not a, a serious, serious injury. He might be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, three to four weeks. But, I mean, it seems like Le Cavalier suffers at least one, you know, a, an injury a year where he's out for a month. Had a lot of shoulder arm wrist problems, you know. I mean, what, what can you do? I mean, he was re- reliable early in his career. I don't think it's – these are – I think these are a lot of bad luck injuries, Drew. What can you do? Yeah, I think that we get hit by a puck on this one, I think Yeah, he's puck on the house. Yeah, wrist. I mean, you never know when – I mean, yeah, you can't prepare for that. I mean – His shoulder has given him problems, though, since that, that two years ago, that surgery. So I mean, that's a little bit disconcerting if you're a Lightning fan. The chronic injuries are certainly yeah. a, uh, of a serious concern. The fluke injuries, you know, you know, yeah. a broken hand heals. But the chronic injuries the, are the are the problematic. The fluke ones. injuries become the chronic injuries. Well, that's if they, yeah. yeah, if they, you know, if they find a weakness and it just right. continues that's to exactly. keep breaking or something yeah. along those lines. Um, we talked about the Canadians trading of defenseman Ryan Laburn to the uh, Avs from uh, Michael Bourneval. So let's look at it from the Avs' point of view. Thin on defense. Mm-hmm. Lots of injuries on their defense. I mean, are they overpaying for uh, to get O'Burn because they're desperate on their back end? And not necessarily true. I mean, you're seeing a strength for a weakness, right? You're seeing a, a Montreal team that's deep on defense and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an avalanche team that's pretty deep up front in young talent. And there's a match there, right? Colorado, weak defense. You know, Montreal could use some more prospects. These teams matched up well. 
Colorado right now has obviously problems on defense. You know, foot's injured. They called up Kevin Shattenkirk, who's a terrific skater, but they have a lot of guys playing in roles that they don't want. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys that most people haven't heard of. Yeah. So you add in Ryan O'Byrne, who can, if, you know, as Sean Gordon mentioned in the first hour, if given, some, if has some confidence, certainly can be a pretty solid player. You're getting a player you know can play in the NHL for a player that might play in the NHL. You're getting, you're filling a need with a, a part, a, a, you know, a part of your organization that you have some depth. And it te- to me, this seems like a logical deal for both sides. Yeah, and, and it really is. And this is like, you know, the first big trade of the year, if you want to call it that. Well, it's uh, the problem is, the problem is it's not a big trade, but in this day and age, it is a big no, trade. It is, it is no, it is a big trade. But trades. you know, O'Burn, you know, we mentioned when we had Pat Hickey of the Montreal Gazette on, he he was, you know, saying that you know, give O'Burn a chance. He's young. But that that is the case. Uh, Colorado has to be thinking that Adam Foote, Captain Adam Foote, you know, uh, Scott Hannon, these guys are, are, you know, not, they don't have that many years left. Right. In Foote's case, this might be his second last year, last year. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, O'Burn is a guy that's going to be part of their, their future makeup. I, and, and you know, Bourneville Drew, he's 18 years old. Yep. You know, he, he's put up very good numbers in the QMJHL. But Montreal, it's a francophone player for Montreal, which is right. great, yeah. always good. And, um, you know, it, it's some, it's a project for the future. It's a prospect that they'll, they'll play in the I, AHL next year. I think it's a risk worth taking on both sides. Yeah, you gotta, you yeah. Got, yeah. It, is, it is a bit of a My, risk. O'Byrne wasn't cracking the lineup anytime soon, and Bourneville, hey, you know what? You never know what he's going to blossom into. And even if he's just a, a solid third or fourth liner, you're, 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 it's well worth it. In this day and age, you got to give up something to get something. Right? That's right. Uh, let, let's do a recap of the NHL's general manager's meeting, which happened uh, last week in Toronto, uh, one-day meeting. I think it was Monday or Tuesday of last week. Um, first, let's start with the idea we spoke about last week, and that's Dale Talon's idea of incorporating some sort of coach's challenge system into the NHL. Uh, fortunately, this was rejected, and I assume I can speak for everybody around this table when I say we hope this goes into a cave and never never emerges again. You know, I, that was my one of my takes last week. So you guys know how I swear I stand on that. It's pretty ridiculous. I just, it never made logical sense to me from the get-go. That's right. the problem. Like, I'm happy that... Uh, the that second that referee is the, is the challenge flag, really. So it, didn't they bring yeah. in point, a second referee right. to, yeah. to improve right. the accuracy exactly. of the calls? So I mean, is he, was he, is he continuing to... I, anyways, we spoke about it enough. Yeah, it's, it's a bad idea to begin with. Let's yeah. not waste the show time talking about it. I get credit for it. creativity, but just not in this one. I don't even get... Well, guys, Talon was quoted after this meeting, you know, and I'm not quoting him verbatim here, but he was quoted as saying that Basically, most of the GMs didn't like the idea, yeah, and they didn't like really want to. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't want to address it. So, well, I think they humored him and even just bring it up for five minutes. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't think he thought it brought it up with a legitimate expectation it was going to go anywhere. I'm not sure what his point was, but whatever. Um, the focus on eliminating headshots was given a strong endorsement, and the general managers believe players are beginning to adapt to the new rules. Great. I mean, that's, that's what you need. I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, they're talking about how players are adjusting. They're not hitting guys that are, you know, that way they'd be hitting in their head, their, their shoulders. They're watching. Players adjust, guys. Players adjust to rules. Players adjust to fines. Players adjust to suspensions because suspensions take away their money. And that's a fact here, guys. You have to allow for some time for players to adjust. Some of these things will still happen, but over time you need to get rid of it. And I think the GM is being strong in this. You give them credit. You know, they're not backing off. Staying strong, and it's going to take over, I think. This, I, this new rule will be called less and less because these, these events will, will be occurring less and less. And I think I, I do see players adapting to it. And I think the NHL has sort of set a, set a ground policy. You hit a guy in the head, right. you're getting a minimum of a two-game suspension. Period. And then, I mean, I think that the really bad ones should be more punitive, Mm -hmm. and that's a a quibble I have with Colin Campbell right now, but I don't mind them setting a benchmark that's saying, you do this, you know, here's here's your action, and here's the direct consequence, there's a straight line, no questions asked, no gray area. But, I mean, the, the serious ones I think they could punish a little bit harder, but that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, something I was a little disappointed with is that Red Wings general manager Ken Holland's suggestion of a four-on-four overtime and then a three-on-three overtime was tabled 
uh, as opposed to being brought up and, and, and considered in a more in-depth. Uh, Holland suggested they go four-on-four, three-on-three, three, and then if it's still tied, a shootout afterwards. I actually think that's a great idea. I'd even be fine with them scrapping the three on the, the shootout afterwards, and if it ends three-on-three, three, if nobody can score, and it ends in a tie, so be it. I like that idea. Two things, two things really quick here. I think I, I respect Kenny Holland for, for bringing this up at the, at the GM's meeting. Um, I, I think there should be a 10-minute four-on-four overtime. That's, what, that, that's the idea I like the best. But, you know, it's good, that, it's good that Ken Holland is bringing this up. And, you know, we mentioned that, you know, the All-Star game was given a little bit too much media attention here, but um, it's good that he's bringing it up. But get a 10-minute four-on-four overtime. I'm in, I'm, I'm in favor of Kenny Holland, if I were that. Anything that's not the shootout. And the final uh, issue coming out of the uh, general manager's meeting, the NHL is soon to unveil a social media policy. I don't like it. I mean, we talked, tried to get for this show. We tried to get Paul Bissonnette on yep. from uh, Phoenix Coyotes. He's a big Twitter guy who's everybody. Thinks we might still get him on though, right? Right now, his, his nasty 2.0 is he's nasty. known on Twitter. The problem is he's been overloaded with requests, as the PR guy told me there. So they're yep. uh, they're going to try and uh, you know try back in a couple of weeks, which we will try. You know yep. why, why why police this? Let the players do it. They want to make some mistakes and cause some trouble. Let them yep. do it. I mean, it's their personality. Let them be themselves. And from what, I, what I've been told, uh, when Bissonnette was told that to, to stop saying certain things, he's improved and he's now tweeting more appropriately. So I don't think there's that many issues well, here. He got, he got into trouble for saying something about Russian players. Right. I mean, Dan Ellis has And he hasn't pro- made that mistake yet, Drew, so just let him tweet away. And, and Dan Ellis got in trouble for some comments about uh, having the fact that he's got more financial troubles now that he's a millionaire and with the escrow than he did before. But, you know, exactly, why neuter them? I mean, the thing, you need to be different from every other... Uh, Drew, it's, it's, it's pretty easy here. You say don't, t- to these players, and people have mentioned this too, don't say anything... That on Twitter would, that you wouldn't, wouldn't say, say to a reporter. Exactly simple. right, as Very simple. That very, should be the social well, media very well said. Exactly right. Well done. Uh, let's go to break. When we come back, final segment, It's time. it'll be time for Rapid Fire and Cheers and Jeers. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on Sports Radio 1290. Really great hockey talk. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on Sports Radio 1290. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. One final segment here on this Saturday morning on Sports Radio 1290. It's time for everybody's favorite segment. It's time for Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire. Longer suspensions. Where's the respect there? Dion Phaneuf. Softer. Shots to the head. Roll the dice on the ice. The truth is, thin as paper. Concussions. It's a very physical sport. Nonsense. Kill shots. Daniel Carcillo. Heavier. Decarbonal. I think it's all about intent. Peter Regan. We have to start giving Crosby props. From behind. You can't stress out about shootout losses. We hear way too many Ron Wilson quotes. Starting in Los Angeles uh, for Rapid Fire this week, the Los Angeles Kings will be without defenseman Willie Mitchell and left winger Alexei Ponikarovsky for at least a month after both suffered injuries last week. While they rarely light up the score sheet, what does the loss of both mean to the Los Angeles well, first Kings? Of all, first of all, Pony Ponikarovsky, they call him Pony. He should be lighting the lamp. I mean... But these are these are the, the the big two acquisitions here, and you know although L A should be good enough here to to uh, you know get through this this you know month or so, um, it's 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 not good um, because Ponikarovsky was penciled in on the second line there, and um, you know he he hasn't worked out for Pony Willie Mitchell. You know he, he's a quiet defensive it's defenseman, yeah. defenseman. but Ponikarovsky. He was struggling. He hasn't he hasn't really done too much there. So when they signed uh, Ponikarovsky, guys, what they what they did this is what happened in L.A. L.A. tried to sign Kovalchuk and they negotiated, 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 and didn't sign him. Obviously, he went to New Jersey, and then that whole you know that whole thing happened. Um, you know, getting the contract getting rejected. But then what happened was after the Kovalchuk rejected them, essentially rejected their offer, they went back to Alexander Frolov. Oh, we want to sign you. 
But because they had shunned Frolov, Frolov wasn't interested in re-signing there, and Frolov went to the Rangers. And because Frolov went to the Rangers, they signed Ponikrovsky. Now, some think, so, so, you know, I've heard some in LA think that, that Ponikrovsky is an upgrade on him, and uh, whether he is or whether he's not, because both players haven't really performed well this year, Ponikrovsky does drop, they, they, you know, they hope for at least 50 points out of him. That's a loss. That's an offensive loss. The team isn't the greatest goal-scoring team. And in terms of Willie Mitchell, you're, you're talking about a good stay-at-home defenseman. They have Rob Scuderi, so they're not, they're pretty deep on defense for the most part, so they'll be okay, but that's a loss. And, and again, you know, if you, you lose a guy, you can kill penalties and get in the way, like kind of guy like Washington needs. I mean, that's, that's, that's a loss. Moving on, the 2010 class of the Hockey Hall of Fame was inducted on Monday night in Toronto. Do you think the hockey world does a good enough job inducting its honorees, or would you rather see a ceremony with more hoopla like we see with Major League Baseball in Cooperstown and the NFL in Canton, Ohio? I think the NHL does a good job of honoring its its Hall of Fame members. I think they they go with the you know a traditional classy approach, and I, I don't necessarily need to see any hoopla, uh, you know, like they do in the NFL or MLB. Um, I, I you know on, on this point, I, I thought that this year's class was a little bit underpublicized. Um, it, it's it's pretty significant that two women were mm-hmm. were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and a lot of people thought this should have happened 20 years ago. Um, but you know, Cami Granado. And Angela James, who was who's mm-hmm. known as the female Gretzky, right? right. Um, you know, they were they were inducted along with Dino Cicerelli, who year after year was waiting right. to get in. So, you know, I, I think that the way the way the NHL approaches their 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 Hall of Fame induction ceremonies is fine. I think that you know this is just a little comment on the media. I don't think enough credit was given to to this year's class. I mean. You know, and I, I, and that goes that goes for everyone. Uh, Jimmy Devolano as well. Agreed. I mean, I, I agree with this. I, I like the way the NHL does it. I have absolutely no problems with the way the NHL does it. My own, the only issue there with Australia and all the voting in is that apparently word leaked that some of the voters didn't know the rules. And when they voted the first time, they thought there was going to be a second string of voting, and there wasn't. So that never, uh, you know, uh, shines a good light on the NHL uh, voting committee. Well, that was the problem. And I think the reason why you didn't see so much hoopla about the uh, Hall of Fame class this year is because of the omission of Pat Burns, which we all agreed was, yeah, was inexcusable. Right, absolutely. Uh, both of last year's Stanley Cup finalists, the Chicago Blackhawks and Philadelphia Flyers, have recently benched two key players. Duncan Keith was benched by Joel Quenville for a period of time in the Coyotes game, and James Van Riemsdyk was a healthy squad in the last couple of games for the Flyers. Do you think benching works as a motivational tool for players? Yeah, I think it, I think it does, but it depends more so on the player than the coach guys. I think it's the, how the player handles it, how mature he is, how confident he is in his abilities. Duncan Keith will get right back out of it. He signed to a 12-year deal. He's one of the top five defensemen in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. He'll bounce right back to it. Van Riemsdijk's like a little bit younger, a little bit less confident, but still knows he's a number two pick overall in the draft a few years back and knows he's going to have a role in Philadelphia. So I think in these situations, I think both of these have a role. Sometimes it's just a, you're just trying to wake a, a, a sleeping bear and it just doesn't work because the player's not motivated. But here I think it works. Yeah, Chicago's got a tough uh, tough na- game against Nashville on the road coming up tonight, and, and you know the, the, the Hawks haven't been playing very well. Nope. They weren't playing well in Phoenix, but it, it, it definitely has more of an impact for Keith. Keith is a very competitive guy. He's the, he's the leader on defense of that team, and uh, you know for Van Riemsdyk, he might unfortunately if he, you know on that team he might he might be a healthy scratch a few times before he he becomes a regular on the Flyers because the emergence of Giroux and Lino right, and all that. So, uh, Buffalo Sabres head coach Lindy Ruff coached his 1,000th NHL game this past week. He's been with the Sabres for over 12 years now. Yeah. Do you think that after a certain point in time, players begin to tune out a head coach, especially one who has been with the same organization? For such a long period of time. Well, they've had this three-year theory. You know, the, the three years. You know, people think that I think Larry Bird about three. You can only get three players for about three years. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that Eric Hatch wrote a great article about it this week in Globe and Mail. I mean, you give these guys enough time to finally, you know, get, get their set their ways and allow to impose their will upon these teams and, 
and, and take on the personality of the coach. And if it's the right relationship with the coach, GM, and owner, they don't. They don't. The, the, it seems to me the players generally only stop listening when they know they can stop listening. They know they have an influence to stop listening. If you don't give them that option, like in Buffalo, like in Detroit, it doesn't happen. Get on, get on, get with the program, or get get out of here. Right. I think it's possible for for players to to, to tune out a coach in any sport. Um, and you know, he, it obviously doesn't apply here because he's been the coach for for 13 years, and Lindy Ruff is very well respected. He's always very well respected, and he's a very vocal guy and an intense guy. Um, and it's it's not the Buffalo's problems this year, Drew. Not 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 anything to do with Lindy Ruff, and he's not he's yeah. just like we said on the first show on sports radio. He's not going anywhere. Versus the NHL's cable TV broadcasting partner in the United States announced that beginning November 15th, they will air an NHL wrap-up show Monday to Thursday nights at 11 uh, p.m. Eastern Time. Considering that Versus is predominantly known for its coverage of the NHL, are you surprised it has taken this long for Versus to begin a nightly recap show? When ESPN had the NHL, they played a lot of games on, on, on ESPN2, and they had a show called NHL Tonight. And then Versus took it over, and Versus played games, and then after games, I lived in the States, Versus played games, and after games, once in a while, they'd have a highlight show, but hardly ever. And then you couldn't find the highlights anywhere else unless it was like in your in your region so i think this is great but it's long overdue mm -hmm. yeah yeah it is it is nothing but a positive thing and it's a little bit surprising that they, they don't have this but fans that watch the games drew they want to see right. they want to see a wrap-up show um on sports center you want to see mm -hmm. um you want to see specifically hockey highlights which obviously tsn does a great job because they, they know what people want to see right. so it's 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 uh it's good for verses because their broadcasts have just gotten better and better sure they have Final one for Rapid Fire this week is has to do with a, a butt end from Brett Burns on Steve Bernier last you night. You a tweet for this one? Uh, it was a tweet question? Yeah, it was a tweet question. Came in for came in via Twitter. One of our fans wanted to know what our uh, what our thoughts were of the hit. It was at the end of the game where it looks like Brent Burns just really almost stabs yeah. uh, Steve Bernier with the butt end of a stick. Quickly explain. It wasn't really a butt end. Like the stick slides out. What happened was he pushed him with one hand, and the other hand he was holding his stick with, and the end of his stick, and he just took his other hand and sort of like javelin. Kind of ja yeah, exactly. And and he was uh, Steve Bernier. He was uh, fairly calm for the most part. Lost it, and then the ref basically said, "Why you do lose it?" And then Steve Bernier looked, and he's gushing blood everywhere. So. I would say uh, there's going to be a harsh suspension in store for Brent Burns. Yes? Um, I, I saw that actually last night. I, I caught the end of that game, and, and, and the Wilder frustrated team. Brent Burns is not yeah. a dirty player at all. End of the game. He's exactly. a very well-liked player, and he has it a bright future. But also. Uh, he's he's going to get a suspension for sure. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's okay with that. You just can't hit a guy like that. Uh, anyways, it's time for cheers and jeers. Cheers and cheers. Cheers and cheers. I'm going to cheer Timu Solani. He played in his 1200th game and got an assist. Cheer to Mike Medano. Give him credit for taking a lesser role. Cheering the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge was coming to Winnipeg uh, over the Christmas break, December 28th to January 3rd. Cheers and cheers. Cheer or jeer? That, of course, was last week's Cheers and Jeers. We like to do a little recap before we get into this week's. Richard, I'm going to start with you. Do you have a cheer or do you have a jeer this week? I have week? a cheer this week, Drew. That's exciting. And I'm going to cheer Aaron Ward. I think he's been a really refreshing uh, new member of the TSN panel. He gives you his opinion. He gives you an insight in, into the game. He talks not only about his his playing days and how it affects what he's thinking now, but you know how the dress the dressing room aspect. And, and he, he talks about the modern player. And, and, and I think he 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 is he's very current. He's very he's very aware of you know he played last year, guys. So he's 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 comes out. He's he's not worried about hurting feelings, and he's and he's honest. And he and to me he's he is he's worth watching and he's not you know a lot of times in the hockey analysis it goes on and on and on about the same stuff he's, he's refreshing he's new he has a new idea he'll give you his opinion he'll back it up he's not afraid to say things I think it's great 
The only problem is you'll have no idea when he's next on TSN because they have a cast of about 45,000 that and, they have and to rotate course. through. And Aaron Ward, a.k.a. the guy the Jets drafted fifth overall for one spot ahead of Peter Forsberg. You're not, bitter. You're not bitter in the least bit, though, are you? Draft. Is, is Aaron Ward not primarily on Versus now, though? Is he on Versus too? Was he on TSN? Maybe he's on both. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been watching him on Versus, but oh. I think uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think he's on both networks. As he cheer or jeer? Okay, um, I had a, another jeer, but uh, sorry, pardon me, a cheer, uh, but I'm actually going to switch it up <laughs> and, and keep keep it keep it old school. Cheer, Alexander Vasunyov and uh, Matthias Tedenby got their first uh, career NHL goals for the Devils last night, so good for them. It's a positive for the Devils. They finally won a hockey game. Yeah. And Ilya Kovalchuk scored the overtime winners. That's yes, even did. more important. Uh, I'm going to f- uh, finish off cheers and jeers this week by cheering the decision of the Vancouver Canucks to skip practice well in Ottawa, and instead they visited the National Memorial Service t- uh, taking place on Remembrance Day. So that was, uh, I thought, a very good move on their part. You know, sometimes there are things more important than hockey, and certainly uh, the National Remembrance Day ceremony uh, covers on the falls under that category. That's it for this Saturday morning here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thank you to Sean Gordon from the Globe and Mail. Uh, we appreciate him joining us. You can follow us on at illegalcurve.com on Twitter at illegalcurve on Facebook illegalcurve.com. Really, you can find us there. That you'll find the podcast on iTunes as well. In case you missed any of the show, uh, we encourage you to stay tuned to Sports Radio 1290 for the best in uh, sports programming. Raw, live from Wayne Gretzky's, featuring Winnipeg's very own Rod Black, is coming up at three o'clock. Until next Saturday morning, puck drop is at six p.m.